I'm being bullied by my cat. Uh oh. Normally, this is a time where I'm not on the chair. So I have to go move her off the chair and she, mm. she bites now, which is a cool oh. thing for her to have learned. How old is this cat? She's like three. Old enough that in theory, you would think the cat would have learned to bite before then. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah. that's good. Not the best turn of events that could have occurred. No. What's wrong? <laughs> Spent too much time looking at Anarch cards. It was like, oh, Eater? Yeah. Oh. Hold on. I got an idea here. Oh, a good idea. And I wonder if it's true. Do I suck like I put the suck on you? Hello, and welcome back to the Slums Cast. I'm your co-host, Neuropanzer, World's 2020 Last Place Jinteki. And I'm Josh, a.k.a. Orbital Tangent, still Netrunner's okayest player. If this is the first time that you have ever stumbled upon the Slums cast drunkenly in a fit of rage, then I have some good news for you. It is a podcast. I have some bad news, though. It is not a podcast about getting better at Netrunner. It is a podcast about genuinely trying but spectacularly failing to be good at Netrunner. It will not make you better at Netrunner, and unfortunately, it will not also make you a better person. It will have a special guest, though. Josh, do you want to introduce our special guest? Oh, absolutely, I would. If Stephen Woolley was the Jackson Howard of Netrunner commentary, he's certainly the spin doctor. Same great taste. No. Um, different flavor, but same... Uh, shit. You know where I wanted to go with this. Uh, <laughs> Do I know where you wanted to go with this? No. Um, what was the phrase on that? It was, it was a beer phrase. That's what popped in my head. Um, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I think it's I don't actually different flavors, same great taste. What well, the phrase doesn't even make sense. No, yeah, the, the, okay. Those are synonyms. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Different flavors, same great taste. The commentator, caster of the Metropole Grid. That's right. It's Andre. Andre, how the fuck are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This has been this is pretty cool. Thank you for joining us. This is the first time we've been called pretty cool by one of our guests, so I'm gonna sh I'm gonna savor this moment for a oh, moment. Oh no, I might have misstepped. Um, I'm not. This has been okay. Thanks, thanks. I guess. Well, I guess we slide back into mediocrity like always. <laughs> Good recovery. I won't cut the feed. I hate to interrupt, but we actually have a momentous occasion right now. For the first time ever, we have a listener comment that we need to talk about. What? Yeah, it turns out at the end of the show, every single time I'm like, oh, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us. Uh, someone actually did. I didn't know they could do that. I always thought that that was just something you said at the end of an episode. Oh, oh, you know, I've heard enough Sumpscast to know where this is going. Really? Because it's the first time it's happened on Sumpscast. Anyway, I think something that is important to point out is when this email came in, because I talk a big game about us not checking this email, but this email was sent on September 14th, 2021. So I actually don't check this email very often, but we do eventually get around to it, listeners. This email comes from one Brian Cronin, well-known of the San, San Francisco stream, friend of the cast. And unfortunately, he has a very serious subject line for this email, which is writing a wrong. The letter goes as follows. Hello, Slumscast. On episode 20, Cranked, shout outs to Cranked, claimed that I, Brian Cronin, had, quote, banned, unquote, 
shout outs on the Netrunner stream. This is wholly incorrect and I feel it needs to be publicly corrected. In this day and age, misinformation of any kind must be swiftly dealt with. Well, uh, swiftly like a month and a half later. Quote, shout outs, unquote, were never banned as cranked claims. In fact, there is a simple approval process that any viewer of the stream needs to go through to issue their shout out. One, ask for permission to issue a shout out. Two, if both hosts agree, the shout out can proceed. Three, you have roughly a 50-50 chance of approval unless you are cranked, who has a 0% chance of approval at this point. Thank you, Brian Cronin. Wow. Well, do you have any commentary that you would like to issue based on that, Andre? This is pretty embarrassing for you guys. I don't know how you're dragging me into this. Would you ever ban shoutouts on your stream? No, no, shoutouts are nice. I don't know. Why did you say shoutouts were banned on their stream? Because with about a 50-50 chance or 100% chance, if you're cranked, they are banned effectively. Mm. Well, that's, that seems to be part of the system built in there. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's supposedly meant to be a nice place that everyone can, you know, talk and communicate and say what they're happy about. So here's a question. Would you ever require approval for shout outs? That's like a legitimate thing. I reckon that at some point when audiences get so big, like, you know, the shithead ratio goes up. Well, maybe it's constant, but then just like the representation that the base number goes up. Uh, we've been pretty good so far. I'm probably saying this publicly and that's going to go to a lot of people to do bad stuff now. So uh -huh. I'm regretting it. But uh, so far, nine out of 10. That's a pointed commentary. You got to remember the stream that we're talking about. Sand, San Francisco. So higher ratio shitheads, myself included. So close to 100%, I would say, honestly, as a longtime viewer of that stream, definitely contributing to that quota. I don't know. Maybe maybe Brian's in the right here. Maybe we do need to publicly apologize for our misinformation. But um, we won't. At least we give a half apology because we were wrong about half the time. Yeah, like the approval process for shoutouts, it's 50-50. So we apologize, Brian, 50%. Mm -hmm. We're 50% mm -hmm. sorry. We completely mean it. And by completely, I mean half. You know, I... Shoot, I had a segment intro to this, but I forgot to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Too late. We already we already did it. It's fine. We can uh we can save the mailbag segment name for the next time we have a mailbag. So <laughs> listeners, please write in so you can hear what the mailbag segment name would have been. <laughs> well, speaking of non-segments, and we do have a guest on here. Mm -hmm. So we should probably get to the thing that we do third just about every episode. Mm -hmm. Do you have an intro question for Andre here? Josh, I don't just have one intro question. I have a stone million intro questions. I don't understand. So I, I decided since we have noted Canadian Andre on the cast that I would look up Canadian brands of bread and one of them is stone mill, <laughs> I believe. Is that actually correct? That sounds accurate, I think. <laughs> This pun went about as well as I expected it to go. <laughs> I had no idea. But yeah, Stone Mill probably makes bread in this country. It was on like CanadianBreads.ca or something like that. I've never been there. Based on the logo, it looked like supermarket bread. So <laughs> I'm going to look this up real quick. Okay, I can say confidently I've never seen this bread in my life. Well, it is possible that the internet lied to me. Listeners, write in. Have you ever heard of Stone Mill as a brand of bread? <laughs> Look, Canada's pretty big. There's a chance that this exists somewhere. It's on brand for us, though, to have done research yeah. and done it poorly. Yeah. 
the one time I actually do research for these puns. Anyway, the point is we have an intro questionnaire, as it were, in the form of baking up think woes. Andre, mm. obviously you are something of a Netrunner celebrity. I would wager that most people listening to this episode know who you are. Many of them have probably watched your content either on YouTube or Twitch. I'd actually like to dive a little bit deeper, though, to get to know the real Andre, as it were. Okay. Instead of the, the mass-produced bread of Stone Mill, we want to get the artisan Andre in here. I have a few questions for you, and I'd like to start with what got you into Netrunner? Ooh, this was many, many moons ago now. So I started playing Netrunner. It was right after Creation and Control came out. And what got me into Netrunner, and I think this is a lot of people, there was two specific videos on the internet. Well, I was still in college at the time. Internet content's always been cool. But there was two videos that specifically got me into them. One of them was the Team Covenant cast. The four of them, back in the day, sitting down at a table, and they were doing data pack reviews. The cycle where Kaisa were in it. They were talking about the pieces, the chess pieces and cyberspace. And I was like, wow, this game sounds really cool. And I was really interested into that. And then the second one was like a lot of people, I reckon, shut up and sit down talking about how good this game was. Both of those. And I was like, okay, well, pretty low investment just to pick up a core set, right? Like mm -hmm. compared to what board games are now, I guess. Uh, so a friend of mine, we decided to split it. We're like, this sounds like a good thing. My friend played it once and I kept it and I have no regrets. And I just kept playing it and getting more into it. And then started picking up data packs and playing. It was mostly roommates. And then I went out in person and like, we had a huge scene back in the day, kind of how it started. And I was just playing two, three years before I decided to start making any sort of content. When I um, picked up my camera and went down to their first regionals and shot stuff and edited stuff, but tried to figure yeah. out how the game works first before I felt confident to talk about it. I have to say, you definitely got the better end of that deal if you split that core set. I don't even know if he, I collected money from him. Maybe I just bought it. And I was mm. like, okay, if it fails, I'm going to hoist it off on you. Fair enough. It's interesting that you bring up the Kaisa because I, I was not playing when these cards came out. I remember most of them at the point that I joined the game were not even relevant anymore. Knight wasn't really even being played anymore at that point. I remember looking at them and thinking, oh, this is such a cool way to conceptualize what a chess piece is and does in this game surprised that no one's playing them just for flavor value and then you know started playing the game more and i was like oh you really don't have time to do any of this <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was kind of the issue they're like massively clumsy the chess theme is so cool and i think on top of it one of my favorite parts of netrunner is the physicality of the mm -hmm. board game itself right like servers pieces of ice you know if you squint a bit it does to some extent look like a chess board you can move pieces mm -hmm. around i even went to a board game store locally which I was like, hey, do you guys have extra chess pieces? Ooh. And the person's like, yeah, someone returned a chess set because it's missing like two pawns or something. It's on, we can't sell it. Just take all the pieces you want. So whenever I played Kaisa, I had like chess pieces in my pocket. I would like start moving across the table and it was, it makes experience way better. You're still That's playing so a sick, terrible yeah. deck, but at least you have a good time doing it. Also, there's an intimidation factor there. Like you, you literally plop down a knight on someone's ice. Or the karate chop. I love the karate chop into a server. Because it's oh very, yeah, that feels very so physical. Yeah. I always make sure that I go a little bit onto their mat too. You know, every time I do a uh, run event against a server, goes front in front of that server, always mm -hmm. a little bit on their mat. You know, you, you tickle their eyes. You need to. Yeah, I'm, I'm invading your space just a little bit, just a little bit. Then they resonate the run, and you're like, oh, okay, I'll sheepishly pull it back. That's always not a good feel when you yolo siphon and and then they end the run, and you're like, oh, okay, so I guess oh, not. Oh, you you had the turn. That's uh, that's unfortunate. Cool. Okay. It's uh, interesting that you mention Team Covenant videos because that's what really got me into Tournament Netrunner. 
their 2014 Worlds coverage and how they had most of the cut. And I think that's the only Worlds that's ever been like, a. I think that was top 32. That must have lasted so long. It was huge. Yeah. They had a bunch of games from it. They were doing like dual and triple recordings. So they they mm. got more than one game per round. And then they went back and they did commentary on it, which mm. was awesome. If you can find it, they did a small interview with Dan Darginio at the end. So interestingly enough, the reason I play tournament Netrunner, Dan Darginio <laughs> of all people. <laughs> the wheel cycles back around. He now played in one of your tournaments just recently. Ah, fair enough. Yo, enough can be said about that because like that's how I got it in Team Covenant talking about the cards. But that the tournament yeah. coverage they had, and it's not only that they filmed everything and they put up the they did commentary mm-hmm. on top of it, they showed all the card text. They showed all the cards. Mm-hmm. Like if you knew nothing, I'm pretty sure yeah. you could watch a Team Covenant game and have an okay understanding of how the rules worked. That was the great thing is being a kitchen table runner knew nothing about these tournament decks and then just seeing how they operated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The level of explanation and care that was put into those videos. It was so important back in the day. We've got the origin story then. A bonus loaf here on our intro questionnaire, Baking Up Think Loves. Who is your comfort ID? Oh, man. I think there's three of them. And the more I think about them, they're all runners. So my top three in no particular order, uh, any day of the week, I'll play Geist. But like not not modern Geist, German Geist thing that was doing well last year. Not that. Mm. Maybe like Geist two, three years ago. Power tap. Like that's the kind of guy I'm doing for some reason. <laughs> that stuff's great. On top of that, max, just mm-hmm. 100 cards. Just always a good time, unless you don't have to shuffle. And then finally, noise, noise shop. I don't know. Maybe I just recently watched some more coverage of it. Noise shop is so much fun. Those who are new to the game and haven't experienced noise shop, you are missing out. That is fun, Netrunner. I'll be honest. I'm one of those people. I joined oh, after man. noise shop was a thing. Yeah. Dive into Eternal. It is <laughs> so much fun. Or play some throwback decks. It's actually probably better because I think Eternal is maybe a bit too fast right now for noise. It's very fast, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We could look up uh, decks from that era at some point and play them. Right there with you on Max. Max is easily my choice. Just getting to draw. I always forget to draw, but my ID does it for me. It's perfect. I think it's the same thing with guys. Free card draw. That's yeah. all. I'll take that every day. You picking Max? I'm shocked. Shocked. I'm not that shocked. I'm not that shocked. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We'll get into my inappropriate standing of Max later in the episode sort of related question not exactly the comfort id but which id do you think is not good but would be really cool if it just got a little more help there's two kinds of bad ideas right there's a bad ideas that are not interesting and there are bad ideas that could be interesting i don't know i don't think we have the appropriate card support maybe that we're missing the break and enter breakers at this point but like you could make con fun i'm pretty sure by changing some numbers being aggressive having some sort of pawn shop build yeah i think that'd be cool I've also just been a fun of like talking about Kaisa, just playing Exile has been classically fun, mm-hmm. but it's just better in Haley sort of situation. That was kind of a thing in Shaper for the last three years or whatever. Some of the weird yellow IDs, I wish that like there were more interesting ways to play things like Harpsichord that all yeah. didn't just like become that eventuality of mid-seasons them and just like play a bunch of one-pointers. Yeah, it's kind of what it does, I guess. My answer here might shock a few people because it is actually a green ID. It's Akiko. I think Akiko yeah. could be really interesting. If Shaper cards just were different and you could leverage the aggression that you get with Akiko, because Akiko is a really cool, aggressive ability. It's just you have to play Shaper. We're getting there, though, right? Like the new cards are supporting it. I think Nisei is making Shaper a bit less control because I don't think they want their game to be like that entirely. I I agree with you, and I I don't think we're that far off. Being able to drain money and sometimes still, even while you're draining money, access extra cards on R&D is great. 
Yeah, and if there's a small support card for her, gives her like an extra access on R&D for cheap, like mm-hmm. Docklands for yeah. Zaya. Yeah. She then becomes either she's draining money or she gets kind of that built-in Adam extra access, but on R&D. Mm-hmm. That would be actually pretty cool and actually some awesome centrals pressure for Shaper. Oh, God, I feel dirty saying that. For well, sure. no, in a deck like that, you absolutely run stuff like Boomerang and you absolutely run yeah. stuff like Botulus, and that would be fun. I have an answer yeah. for this too. Con Skip Tracer, I think she was tested uh, with yeah. Temujin and they thought she was too powerful, but it wasn't her. It was Temujin. <laughs> that is uh, fair. Because that's supposed to be her card, but you know, it turns out if you actually just put it in a good ID, it's busted. So they shouldn't have nerfed the influence. In fact, she should probably have 17, honestly, yeah. like 10. She's a 40 deck minimum, though, I'm pretty sure. Or there were cards that actually were worth installing after you'd passed ice. I don't know what type of program you would design for her. She could work with a botulist, you know? You boomerang the first ice, you get past that, and then you install a botulist. I think you really needed the breaker enter suite, right? Because there's a lot of little things that you just didn't have the time Mm -hmm. to install them, and you installed all of them for free, which is quite cute. I also don't think she had a link. For someone called Skip Tracer, which is just frustrating. Yeah. Oh, this is why she doesn't work. Because she says you may install an icebreaker from your hand. It's yeah. a limited oh. icebreaker. Oh, that's yeah. That's even worse. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you'd be yeah. dropping caches down and you just couldn't do any of that stuff. If she had like 15 influence or it was just program, she has the potential to be really, really cool and do these interesting hand tricks, which unless you're like Kaylee has never really been much of a thing in Netrunner. It's been a thing in like very specific decks. And I think one of the cool bits of interaction that's a a little bit unexplored is hand tricks from Anarch and Criminal. All right, I pass one ice. And maybe that should be the trigger for Criminal. Maybe hand tricks for Anarch is like taking damage. We kind of have that in the form of I've had worse out of Anarch, but... Yeah. The fact that she's not shaping is so weird. The fact that it's just program itself is so weird. Or sorry, mm-hmm. Icebreaker itself is so weird because it doesn't make any sense. But uh, man, 15 Influence and Shaper with program, you could do so much with her. It is Halloween. We're recording this episode on Halloween. So I figured we had to get a spooky question in here. Suppose that you had to be taken out by a Netrunner card. Which one would you pick? I think if someone lands a complete image, now that we don't have Chronos Protocol, like kudos, you've done it. Respect that. Otherwise, it needs to be like, oh, you have 50 tags, high profile target for 100. Traffic accident, it's like, well, you had one card in hand. What are you doing? It's definitely not running an Urdica Cypher with four advancements because I, oh God, I'd be really unhappy with myself. Even worse, hitting an Urdica Cypher with one in hand. I keep dying to sting. Oh God. Not realizing that text on sting has been that same text since it came out. We've all agreed it hasn't changed. Right. Mm -hmm. And I still don't know how much damage I should be taking. Mm -hmm. We don't have PE anymore. Spoilers. So it's a bit easier, but like Andre dies to sting is just every couple games that just happen. So it happens to me too. I mean, there was even a point where I could have turntabled an agenda to make me stealing a sting less painful. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being the one card difference for me being able to steal a Bacata. Woof. But you learn from those, right? Yeah. I mean, do we? Maybe. I, maybe. I keep not. I keep not knowing how much damage I'm gonna take from Sting. Yeah, no, that's true. I still have no idea. <laughs> Although Sting is more likely, Sting is not what I would choose. I think I'm with you on the high-profile target. Get a world record on the amount of damage you're dealing me, yeah. or don't talk to me. 
I read this question a little bit different. I thought you meant a hypothetical of if I had to be taken out IRL, what card would I oh. allow me to take me out IRL? And I, oh, that's pretty easy. Just loop all day long. Oh. He can, he can trash me. <laughs> he's going to draw a card off of that. <laughs> yeah, watch out. He doesn't care. He's just doing it for tempo. <laughs> oh, oh, hit it, quit it. Oh. oh, yeah, I suppose he has Steve to come back home to. Worth it. Sorry, I had to get some thirst in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> it is for some reason part of our brand now. Yeah, that's another weird one. Why did that happen? Why did we let that happen? I'm thirsty all the time. I don't know. All right, Pants, I think it's time. It's been a fun time in the bakery, but let's get down to business to move on from... Well, I was going to say to move on from the puns. Okay, okay. Why did you give me think clothes? Sorry for accidentally stepping on your joke there, I bet. (laughs) Why did you give me think clothes when I asked for worlds? There we go. That's nice. You're right. In theory, we're here to discuss worlds. So I'd like to move us on to a well-known, well-loved segment, Deck and Bamboozled. Now, normally on Deck and Bamboozled, we talk about a specific deck that bamboozled someone, ideally the person who played it, but occasionally the people who played against it. This time, we're doing things a little bit differently. See, there is a deck, I guess two decks, one on each side. There is a deck out there that will soon win worlds, and we do not know what that deck is. And that bamboozles us, or at least it bamboozles me. So I think we should discuss, what do we think is going to win Worlds? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe a place to start is, do you think there are any obvious decks that a lot of people are going to be on? Okay, so we've had the recent change to the standard ban list, which went into Mm -hmm. action like two days ago. Not that people haven't been testing for a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. So I think there's a couple big changes. I think it's too soon to know like what will win worlds. Unfortunately, if you're like, you know, trying to figure that out yourself and you're not testing, this is the month where Netrunner DB gets a bit quiet, holding their cards tight to their chest. Now, if you ask me what's a good, and I think a lot of this is going to be a response to the new ban list. What's going to win worlds? It's going to have Mad Dash in it. Yep. Probably going to have Pad Tap too. That's good. I guess you have those tools to, to play with. I feel like we need to find a deck that can Mad Dash consistently because Mad Dash is such a strong card. And right now it looks like it's Criminals, Anarchs, and Adam. Even though they lost 419, Criminal gained more than it lost. And now 419 leaving is huge, but you can stick Steve in that 419 shell, changing five cards, which is putting two Mad Dash and three Pad Tap. Is Steve the best criminal? I don't think anybody knows. We are not spoiled for choice on the criminal side as far as great IDs. So, I mean, what else are you going to play over Steve? Loss, maybe? Maybe. Zaya's a different shell. I think that she really honestly makes that counter surveillance shell thing. I mean, Um, yeah, but do you need that? Probably play Reg Zaya and it's fine. I think there's going to be a lot of people that'll take a 419 list, take out five cards and play Zaya. I would say that Steve almost gives you more value to Sure Gambles, which Sure Gamble you're going to give me. He's giving you four credits for one click, whereas Zaya has to have tools installed to get more than one credit from her ability. And I mean, she has to have a smaller deck, so she has to lose more tools. Sure, but on the flip side, if they install and end the run on HQ and you're Steve and your breaker for that end the run isn't in your top 20 cards, you are a blank ID. 
there's a difference, right? Like it's a smaller deck size. It's a bit more aggression, right? Like there's mm-hmm. nothing Zaya likes more than dropping down an early Paragon or a Penny Shaver mm-hmm. and just um, jailbreaking R&D or whatever's open. Mm-hmm. Like that's good. And we don't know how mm-hmm. fast the meta is going to be because like we saw at the end of the intercontinental seasons, things were actually slowing down a bit. We started mm-hmm. seeing like Yellow Glacier and now we also have Asmari on the corpse side. So mm-hmm. that might slow down a bit more barring Mad Dash. So like we, I don't know, maybe you go for the value. You know, I agree. I think um, I'd rather also watch Steve, mind you, any day of the week. He's more exciting to me. But whether it's, you know, setting up for the mid to late game value mm-hmm. from HQ runs or the early aggression, there's also a chance that he just plays I and your rebirth into Steve and you're just happy enough. That's True. fair. You find it a lot more consistently with 40. I think that plays into my point, though, that Glacier style that you were talking about, the slowdown of the meta. I think that Steve, you're going to want to hit HQ every once in a while. And he gives you that burst. These short gambles that I played, I'm never going to get them back anyway because I have no recursion. I get it back and then I get four, five, six credits off of it or whatever it is. Because you can bring back daily casts as well or earth rises or anything you want. I mean, honestly, I think one of the biggest advantages of Steve in the long game is the fact that you get to play five siphons. Doofs, obviously. It lets you drag the game out so long. And that was the reason that people were rebirthing into Steve out of 419. The trade-off you have there, since 419's banned, is you get potentially a little bit of early burst like you're talking about, but you don't get the constant credit denial of 419. So they have to play their early game a little bit differently. And it's Mm -hmm. possible that that unlocks things on the corpse side that just were pushed down by 419. But I think you still never really want to go too long against a deck that can siphon you five times. You do have more credit denial that you can stick in there. You do have the pad taps. If they go ahead and trash it, you know, that's like three 419 triggers all at once. Mm -hmm. And we do have a CTZ special that you could go with. You could stick a router or two in there. CTZ special, please. I was playing router at Worlds in 2018. Come on. Yeah, but were you playing in Crib? No, because why would you splash it? I do think Andre is right, though. Adam is as good as he's ever been. He looks good now. Like right now, he looks pretty great. I mean, I think that's because he's like Crim. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And his passive abilities work so well Mm -hmm. with Mad Dash. The fact that you get Find the Truth Peaks multi access on HQ that works with Mad Dash, the, the fact that he leverages Mad Dash is so huge. And I think that it's easy to think that we're overhyping Mad Dash if you've never played with or against the card. We are not. Like there is a reason that it got restricted and then banned. It fundamentally changes the math against so many decks. I mean, you only have to ever steal two agendas against six agenda as Mari, which is the entire reason that they're on their entire agenda suite and in that ID. It's the entire way that Acme tries to play its game. Like six agenda as Mari is asking you to score half of its agendas without Mad Dash. Mad Dash cuts that down to just a third. It's a hell of a card. Doesn't seem like it is because it's one point. It seems innocuous, but. I think that's a big point, right? Like we have Asmari coming in. Uh, there's some, you know, there are some ideas that are considering playing three-pointers. And mm-hmm. uh, if you're playing exclusively three-pointers, that might actually be a bad look right now. Just like yeah. you said, the three plus four. If you mad dash the second one, that's seven points. So that's a problem. So I don't know what that means. I don't think you're going to see PD decks moving off of Global Food Initiative. It doesn't really change anything if you do anyways, but now you can win in three agendas. But I'm more interested to see how the runner decks are going to um, pivot a bit to start including yeah. cards that allow them to more easily play mad dash, right? We talked about Adam, Adam is a great contender, but I think mm-hmm. he might start seeing, and we used to see this back in the day, like find the truth, maybe in an Anarch deck or find mm-hmm. the truth, even in a criminal deck that has influence left over. I think in criminals, even without 
409, even sometimes without Amakua, there's a good chance that you want to falsify credentials to expose a remote mm-hmm. server mm-hmm. to be able Absolutely. to like mad dash yeah. with impunity. I think you splash that in every faction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're seeing Anarchs playing two of them. I think you're going to see more Stargate now. Turning Wheel definitely works, but you're going to see Stargates and Criminals just because mm-hmm. you can either set up the top of the deck or Archives. I don't know whether we have to enter a Cold War with Spin Doctor because you can't really political operative a Spin Doctor too easily. You um, could Councilman it though. Is that still a card you can play? It is Mumbad. It is tech that exists I am a very avowed hater of Councilman as someone who used it back in the day. For zero cost things, especially, it's you have clumsy. to install it the turn that you use it. Have a quick left over to install Councilman and a quick left to run Archives. Such a potentially strong design. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Councilman used to exist pretty often on, on street peddlers back in the day meant that in theory, if there was something across the table, even with an artist colony, right? If you're playing against someone with that, every single time you read something, you'd have to ask action. Nobody did it because that's not good for the game, right? I'm glad at some point when Councilman's going to go, but what a fun card. Man, again, back to Noise Shop. That thing was a really, really good time. Oh, you can pre-install it, by the way. You can, yeah, but, but then, then it's then they can not res. They can, yeah, they can play yeah. around it. Oh. Here's the best thing about the Councilman discourse. If they have two spin doctors on the table, they just juke you. Yeah. <laughs> they try to res one. You say, nope, I pop my Councilman. You can't. And then they say, okay, I'll res this other spin doctor. Do you end up drawing when you res and the Councilman dereses? Does it prevent the res or does it just dereses immediately? I'm not actually sure. It, it dereses. Gain the corp tempo. Okay, it's terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I won't keep driving the point home. But yeah, regardless, I think you're going to see the decks try and leverage Mad Dash more and more. Mm-hmm. They definitely should. And I don't know what that means for court play, right? Like Mad Dash doesn't take a successful run, so you can't crazy and grid it. Whether people are going to start putting border controls on R&D just to hold out for like a Mad Dash or like, are you going to start seeing things like Mirage you again? We can talk about Polana, I guess, a little bit because the deck that you run Mirage in is like a Polana Glacier or like, I guess we've seen that Restoring Humanity Grinder. You run it in decks like this that want the game to go long and are red or that are willing to spend its two influence, right, for Mirachu? That sounds about right. I think also Ag Infusion, you want to sometimes play it, because it is a face-down ice most oh, right. of the time if it's operating. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly it. You're playing some sort yes. of decky long game glacier. They play a lot of ice in that deck. It would be interesting to see Mirachu pop up as a way to counter find the truth. I wonder if decks will do that. I think you're only probably going to do that if you're natively in red, but people are going to get completely surprised by it. I think that this is going to be a real skill test, the spin doctor factor. Remembering to check for spin doctors is going to be super important at Worlds. And understanding when you have time to check for them and when you don't is going to be a real test of skill. Yeah, maybe just jamming stuff into a remote service that looks like a spin doctor buys you like a breathing room. Yeah, you're going to see some people get really upset. They go for the mad dash and end up taking a meat damage. At least that's fun for viewers. <laughs> I think that's probably a reason to not only be on one mad dash. I think two is probably a good number. I think threes maybe a little much. I don't think you ever need to land two against any decks. Definitely one, maybe two, right? Because the idea is also, do you draw it when you need it? The yeah. thing is, if you're playing in criminal two with things like class act, stuff like that, sometimes one will get you far enough. I think there's a good reason that you might want to consider more than one. Adam wants to play two for sure because he needs that early yeah. agenda oh, true. density. I'm always a big advocate of spending one of Adam's influence on DJ Fenris. Be Steve. So what's kind of cool about having two is you can get more aggressive with it. If you just kind of can sniff out that there might be something in HQ and you just kind of YOLO in there and you miss. If you miss twice and you're Steve, bring one of those back for later. Taking the meat damage on a chance that you might get an agenda is another skill testing thing. 
I think you're going to see the top players are going to YOLO Mad Dash. They are going to have tools to make sure it's a for sure thing. But as you know, you know, Netrunner is a card game. There's randomness. So you don't always get those tools in every game. You got to be not afraid to do that with your Mad Dash sometimes. It's nice to build in these ways of making Mad Dash a more skill testing card because the card itself, I mean, the downside is so weak. It's one meat damage that can oh, yeah. be prevented. Like Mad Dash should have said you lose the game if you don't steal an agenda. Like <laughs> this card is just ridiculous. <laughs> well, it's not a Roseville card. Come on. On a similar note, we've been talking a little bit about runners getting unlocked by the new ban list. Do you think there are any corpse that are getting unlocked by the new ban list? Well, there's the obvious unlocks as an unbanned, right? Like you mm -hmm. can now play as Mari. You can play Gagarin, which I'd argue you probably shouldn't do unless you figure out something that everyone else really hasn't figured out to the date. Because I don't know, for my testing Gagarin, it looks miserable. If you're lucky, just something that's really easy to tech into. And it doesn't have, like if it doesn't take off on turn one to turn three, like it does not have a game plan. I'm not a big fan of Gagarin. Otherwise, like Azmari is a thing, again, I'm just so unsure about just playing all the three-pointers. Like maybe you can play a couple more agendas. Maybe you'd go for that exchange of information play off of things mm -hmm. like um, whatever the new public trail, the new sea source, right? Yeah. I think that's playable. Azmari is good. Otherwise, the other faction that needed support was Jindaki. What happened is personal evolution, which, you know, is a darling identity, but hasn't really been showing up as competitive identity, is now banned for hopefully just a couple months. It's kind of sounds like. But we got back Kakugo which is a good piece yeah. of ice. And we got back shipment from Tenon, which is a fast advance piece. And it's actually a really good fast advance piece as long as you're okay running, you know, generally not very exciting agendas. I think it's pretty obvious. Okay, so when it comes to Jinteki, you're having the grinder decks, which I think a lot of people are pretty upset with playing a JNet casual for the last couple of weeks. But uh, <laughs> I think that deck can be optimized. I feel like that deck is not solved yet. I feel like people are just trying to like push the old potato shell into there. But mm -hmm. I think we have new tools to do unavoidable damage and i want to play more in that space but again i also want to have friends so it's a bit of yeah. a kind of <laughs> let off the gas every once in a while i agree that i don't think that that deck is salt i'll admit i'm a bit of a skeptic about the deck in general i'm not positive that that deck is incredibly strong even when salt but i could be wrong and like i have been wrong about potatoes being too strong in the past and it's unwise to completely ignore net damage shinteki i guess is what i would say it's so easy to play against that deck incredibly incorrectly. And you just, your win percentage just gets really bad really yeah, quickly. True. But I feel like those matchups are so dependent on certain tech cards. You need to have certain cards to help you deal with it. Like if you don't have mm -hmm. a Caldera or something that will give you good value, mind you, it's also a good time to be Steve for this reason. You're going to struggle. And the question is whether this thing shows up as part of the meta enough for people to tech into it, right? Like, mm -hmm. is it worth a slot? And uh, I honestly don't know. Yeah, that's a good point because we have to consider not just the innate strength of the deck, but the strength of the deck in the metagame. And decks that are in the good but folds if the right tech is played category, those can win worlds. I mean, we've seen them win worlds very recently. Yes. I think restoring humanity or just the Jinteki grinder, whether or not it's out of RH, is a deck that's potentially like that. It has a raw power level that's pretty high, but they're very fragile and people can undervalue them for that reason if they run into the wrong tech a few times in a row. Are there any other decks that you think are in that category? Fragile against specific tech? Yeah. That's exactly where I put Gagarin, but by specific yeah. tech, I just mean like robust economy and miss bones. So yeah. like I think a lot more things take it down on accident. So the whole idea of having defensive upgrades and scoring agendas behind ice, just about every faction can play it to mm -hmm. a relatively good degree. I think the continental season or the continental season, we saw things like Virus Max, 
And that was just, from my understanding, at least the big reason why a lot of people didn't want to play some of these decks because Virus Max would just, the, the win rate, classic, Jinteki, Polana, Glacier was abysmal from my understanding. Like resing yep. eight into Nancy and getting it derezzed with the Tranquilizer is not sustainable. You know, a lot of people think that's coming back with Kagugo. Mind you, that sort of net damage is really good against that sort of deck. If you can push it to the late game, I think people figure mm -hmm. out how to tech into those sort of max decks. It's really easy. You play a Salem's, play Snare, like they're going to struggle. But I, I don't know if there's anything that's specifically niche. Like we don't know what sports metal looks like, if it exists. Are people going to play Clot? Like we saw Anarchs playing Clot. Like that's never happened before in mm -hmm. the last couple of months. Like, is that still a thing you have to worry about? You bring up sports and that's kind of where my answer to this question is because I think a lot of this fast advanced tech is going to fall out. Like what, what, what does Clot do against PD? Absolutely nothing. What does Clot do against Esmari? What does Clot do against a lot of decks? The answer is absolutely nothing. And I think for that reason, yes, Sports Metal lost a lot with Vacheron being banned, but I think that a version of Blame Changer that's on Ikawa and just says, I can at least slow you down a little bit, put a little bit of a speed bump on you, and you've lost your ability to make me take an extra two turns could sneak in it could sneak in there yeah i think you're potentially right maybe you tried and find a spot for food over the ikawa but like the mad dash problem might still exist like that deck mm -hmm. does not protect centrals in any meaningful way so I, I don't know but like yeah i would not rule that deck out like just the idea of being able to audacity on turn one as being yeah. you know a coach and game plan is, <laughs> is terrifying it's honestly terrifying yeah yeah i don't know I think Vacheron was what made that deck. And I think if it didn't get Game Changer back, it's too slow. And it doesn't have enough tools to keep you off enough points to win before it scores out. You bring up Game Changer. I'm actually a little sad that Game Changer didn't come back with this ban list because I think that would have unlocked a very different style of sports deck that you have an interesting cat and mouse game with Mad Dash. Mm -hmm. Because Mad Dash's entire thing is, oh, I'm going to only need to steal a few big agendas to win the game. Mm -hmm. And the Game Changer deck says, no, I'm going to make you steal a bunch of small agendas. Mm -hmm. Of course, the Game Changer deck probably wouldn't like the amount of Stargate that's going to get played. But, you know, against like those criminal Mad Dash decks or against the mm -hmm. Adam Mad Dash decks, I think it has a pretty good game. So like Game Changer being unlocked also would have been interesting because Mad Dash counts as an extra agenda in the score area. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. I think that keeping sports around with Game Changer would have been cool, but we're not here to talk about shoulda, coulda, wouldas. You brought up decks that died a specific deck. One of the decks that I've been proselytizing forever is Rude Deck. I think before this ban list, it was underrated. I think it was a super solid deck. But the specific tech that turns it off is uh, <clears throat> Mad Dash. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is Rude Deck? So Rude Deck is eight agenda outfit. So it plays three City Works and then three SDS or send a message. And because you you're on City Works, you're on dedication ceremony as a way yeah. to basically say, yeah. you can't steal this agenda in the late game, even if you beat me on money. Exactly. Yep. And then so you also are running two hostile takeovers. And the whole idea is these large agendas, the runner has to score three, obviously. And there's there's two agendas that you can score out of hand, the hostiles, but you score them just as soon as you draw them. But you back up these large agendas, especially the public ones, by holding punitives or mm -hmm. by holding uh, hard-hitting hard news. And so the whole idea is like you're forcing the runner to check four axes that you could potentially beat them on cards credits tags and uh 
I always forget the fourth one. You're going to beat them in some way. You're going to outrace them in some way because you're fast on all of them. But when they only have to score two, it's sort of like the second one doesn't even matter. So the only agenda that matters is the first agenda. And if they score four points on the first agenda, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you threaten them with the city works. If they can't go get the first city works, they'll just wait for the second one and be like, okay, I'll just go get that one when I need to. I'll just hold for all my draw cards, you know? Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I would not play a Punitive Counter-Strike deck into this meta with Mad Dash. It's just, you have it's, one window. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're installing them face up on the table, like, oh, feels bad. Yeah. But on top of that, like we talked about it a bit. I don't know. Have you ever tried to play Rush Wayland where half your ice gives credits and then they play pad tap? Like mm, you just I don't have. have the time of day to, to trash pad taps. It's a five credit loss mm-hmm. and a click. Otherwise, they're getting two mm-hmm. credits when they run into your mouse list. Like it, and you score yeah. hostile, you, you give them a bad publicity and two credits. Like it's yeah. Oh, yeah, the click I loss do. on pad tap is also real for rude because <clears throat> it doesn't want to even install ice if it doesn't have to. Yeah, no, like it can't spend the money clearing the pad yeah. taps. You're gonna see pad tap everywhere. Like I don't yeah, think there's a faction that would yep. not play pad tap. So yeah, the and click on that is real. Uh the three that, credits or whatever, but the click. Oh, that's the thing too. It's like, is everyone excited to play Pollen? Is everyone excited to play Asmari when pad tap <laughs> right. exists? Yeah, like, it's, it's 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 so interesting this list because it you know it encourages you to do one thing, but then gives you a good reason not to do it in the same hand. So you really have to decide for yourself. Yeah. Uh, as far as spicy picks to put on the ban list, I'm not knocking the ban list here. Other than there was one thing that I think should have got freed that didn't, you know, game changer. But yeah, you're right. Like the picks on the list are good for getting your mind going. And I do like that it's like a pre-worlds ban list that is got some potential significant changes after worlds, mm-hmm. which they've already kind of said, but they did pick a bunch of cards that are like, Okay, well, 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 what do we do? <laughs> so that's pretty spicy and cool. Yeah, the one thing that I can say in Pawana's favor, because yes, Pat-Tap's going to be everywhere. That is an instant must-clear card. And oftentimes, Pat-Tap will already gain value before you're able to trash it because they just like install a Pat-Tap and draw. Yeah. Um, that said, the one thing that I can say in favor of Pawana is because of the amount of tempo that you get from the ID, you can score the first really annoying agenda so fast, so incredibly fast. And then you still have the late game backup because you now have Kakugo. You still have the late game shenanigans of, okay, you're going to run through my Kakugo. Maybe you're even playing a card that we were on in 2018 out of Falana was Mumbad City Grid that lets you swap ice after they pass it. You don't even have to res a second ice. You just pass a Kakugo down the chain. They have to break it three times and they have to pass it three times. And the breaking, like, sure, they spend a little bit of money. Who gives a shit? They lose three cards passing through Kakugo three times. At the end of this, are they actually going to steal your avocado? And then after they get past the last time, you swap it all the way back to the outside of the server. So they have to do it again if you would need to avoid them. Oh, that's gross. You can do that? Yeah. So... I agree with you. I feel like, you know, with Anoetic Void, I feel like you're just adding another really flashy step that's probably not necessary, right? Like at the end of the day, just running through remotes enough times is pretty difficult. Yeah. But like, I, I think Kakago is a really big thing to talk about because you're right. Obviously, it is regardless, you know, the credits aren't the thing. It's just it's going to be attacking a card across the board. So people are going to deal with it. And I think you're going to start seeing hippos. You're going to see start seeing hippos. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're going to maybe even see chisel. Maybe like the virus decks were already running yep. one of, you might see one or two because it's not sustainable. 
Yeah. Uh, I think Anarchs can deal with the best. We're also seeing stuff like, you know, NBN Glacier. You play hippos in that, you're in a oh, way better absolutely. spot as well. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know how realistic it's going to be against criminals. Like, maybe everyone just plays Caldera. Maybe you can spend four to get through Kakugo. I'm not actually sure. Playing four multiple times is definitely a lot. I don't know. I still think you're going to see things like Imp, though, to deal with Obakata, because you're right. We're yeah. seeing data loops or data wards. I forget whatever the appropriate one is. Yeah, yeah. D- data loop, getting that swapped on you is also really freaking yeah. annoying. Having to go through it twice because of Void, the math typically does not add up for you stealing an Obakata if you have to go through data loop twice in a turn. Yeah, so I think people are going to be, end up trashing Obakatas anyways and then hopefully mad dashing yeah. them for the win. I think you're right. There are tools there. And I think right mm-hmm. now, even the Never DB decklist of the week is like, you know, some Jinteki, Anoetic Void, Kakugo, Bakata thing. And it's yeah. probably pretty okay. It's just, I think people are going to address it soon. I think yeah. there is also a panic Polana factor. Oh, it, classic. It, I, I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. I've panicked Polana many times in my life, but just this idea of falling back on a seemingly safe Glacier deck when it comes to worlds, because you know how to play it, it is the type of netrunner that you know how to play. It's probably fine, right? It's Polana. How bad could it be? Oh man, three pad taps in. You're going to yeah, regret I know, it. I know. <laughs> but I think that there is a real panic Polana factor, which is going to cause many people to play it, even if they shouldn't. Though, arguably, I think really this year, it's the panic PD. I think people are just going to fall back on PD, yep. whether or not that's actually the best deck. I think it's still good it is still quite good i think it might be the best deck but very I think little change you're going to see a larger percentage of pd than potentially you should because of the panic pd factor yeah that's fair i don't think that it got any worse than most corpse though because it was already playing an agenda suite that's like like yeah it doesn't want to get mad dashed but no corp wants to get mad dashed yeah yeah it, but it's not playing that well that... it has a lot of tools to punish mad dash too because you have the void yeah yeah, for sure. Like, so I don't know. I think it's still probably tier one because only one version of it got hit, and that was the version playing Vashron. And yeah. that's not even the main version that people play. The main version is the all the uh, Tempo Agendas version. So you would beat that deck, though, by good Krim play. So that's why I think Krim is still good. And that's why I think Adam's good because he's, he's a different flavor of Krim. So mm-hmm. I mean, I think that those are good choices on the runner side because of that, because there's that panic yeah. BD factor. I did want to point out something, and this is a really interesting sort of interaction. Mm-hmm. There are some people that are thinking ag is underrated. Yes. Hmm. Sorry, you can't mad dash ag infusion. You cannot well, mad dash you ag can, infusion. You have to be because... very careful about it. Oh, it's hard. <laughs> so here's the thing, though, is they could pop an ice from archives. So sure, they go down my Kukago server doing that mumbad trick with and they discard all these cards you probably don't have money for that out of fact yeah. <laughs> sure sure but just this theoretical here sure sure and they imp my oboe right mm-hmm. and then they try to man dash into archives well if i got an unrest ice there i can just redirect you and then on top of that they take the meat damage <laughs> yeah right for what it's so, worth yeah ag infusion i think could be a little bit underrated now i agree i'm not sure that it is so much it gained a bunch from this ban list because I'm not mm-hmm. like maybe you're on Kakugo out of that deck. Maybe you're not though, because you more care about things that it's punishing to run into the first time. That's the point, is you can run shipment because people can't run every turn against Ag Infusion. Mm. Your agenda suite starts to get really awkward really fast, but like mm-hmm. shipment from tenant, you, you pay what is it, three credits to score three T out of hand if they don't run? If Ag Infusion mm-hmm. yeah. just has an Anansi res, you can't run every turn. That just it's mm. just not gonna work out for you. Yeah. So that's like an interesting deck. I think that what you have to figure out in that deck is you have to figure out econ, like, cause you're right. Cause it's 
broke. So I don't know, like maybe you spend a good chunk of your influence on econ. (laughs) I've got a thought. You spend a chunk of your influence on three seamless and you just run the PD agenda suite plus Obacata. I suppose. Uh, I, I know. That, sure. Hmm. I understand that you have Nisei Mark II in faction, and I understand that theoretically it's very good with the Ag Infusion ability. Wouldn't you, you rather it. score an off-world office? I think that's what a lot of people do, though, in Ag Infusion, is they don't go heavy into the Niseis because they already have that built-in ability, but they don't have the Plana Econ, so they they yeah. offset the way that like Plana would do the reverse, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, do you run, do you splash subsidies? Do you splash, uh, I don't know. I, I think you could do regolith. Regolith is like oh, exactly yeah, regolith what you exists. want. Yeah. It's free in terms of influence. It's something that goads a run, which is something you kind of want to do. Like you True. want them to let you res the strong guys early on. Like yeah. you can go, it's not blazingly quick, but I think that's like a really good start for mm-hmm. what you want to put in a remote server. Hmm. Right. Obviously the problem with Ag Infusion is if you get tranquilizered once, then not only do you lose this game, generations from now, your children's children will still be losing yeah. Netrunner games because of that Tranquilizer. So, <laughs> like, that deck can get away with playing Magnets. That deck can get away with, like, resing and de-resing Magnets. Mm-hmm. Some people play, like, I forget the name of that card that lets you de-res ice to re-res other stuff. Like Diversion of Power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Divert, Divert Power, power. Oh, yeah, wow, that's yeah. it, that's it. Yeah. Right, it like, does have 17 influence, right? So Yeah, it has a good Oh, yeah, you could do Divert Power Magnets. I don't know and if you can, need to do that. Like, if we're talking about top tables, I'd be surprised we see divert power. You can get away with that. You have anoetic void. You can yeah. sometimes re-res your ice. Honestly, I think the biggest problem with ag infusion, time and time again, is trying to play it for eight rounds straight. That's yeah. very much a factor. Yeah, PD is. You know, it's it's a lot more simpler. I think there's just less decisions to make over time. You can just have one bad ice placement in ag infusion, mm-hmm. and it costs you so much. Exactly, ice placement and what the ability itself does is such a huge thing. The PD ability in some decks is exactly a skill testing because you have to figure out of like four or five relevant tools, what am I pulling back after I score this thing? In the reg PD, it's, you know, you okay, just give me my seamless back so that I can threaten this again next You got You got like, three of them. Just take a Rashida back. Those are good. You put it in. <laughs> but yeah, no, no. I, I think your PD is like one of two choices and that's it. But it's yeah. good. Still good. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Ag Infusion, it's like to be able to use my Ag Infusion ability three turns from now, I need to install this ice here, which means that I need to draw for a hedge fund now, which means <laughs> this whole yeah. decision tree. We have a uh, white tree, we have black tree, uh, Ag Infusion's decision tree. <laughs> uh, white tree, black tree, but no Mati. No red tree. That's the sort uh, of thing that people ask to come back. I don't know if you can bring back Mati and then expect any other Jinteki to be that relevant. Yeah, no, it no, it, it would be too strong. It would be way uh, too strong. <laughs> it would dominate Jinteki. It would make Jinteki a faction again, though, because you could just spider people, which would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I love spidering people. Is Loki really fun to play as? Yeah. As, yeah. <laughs> as, not against. <laughs> against, yeah. if you win, it feels really good because there yeah. are a lot of yeah. like really smart decisions that I think you have to make to get to that point. Yeah, it, if you're not up to that point, you're going to have a bad time. So, anyway... I've got a follow-up question here if we don't have an immediate next point. Yeah. Are there any good decks that are actually bad? Oh, Gagarin. yeah. 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 Gagarin seems like the pretty big contender of thing that looked good, but is way worse now for a bunch of reasons. I honestly think Miss Bones is like a pretty big part of that. Bad tap mm-hmm. coming back at the same time. Like you're not doing yourself any favors. That is my hope. Maybe I'm projecting, but I've had a really rubbish time testing that. Uh 
otherwise, like I'm kind of convinced that like just me mid-range Polana, like it was three years ago, is just not going to do you any favors against some fields. On the runner side, I honestly don't know. We haven't mentioned Shaper once in this conversation. Like yeah. for what it's worth, like we got back Encore which is really strange yeah. because I think that's the first time that any sort of balance team has like very overtly encouraged combo shaper. That's always something that everyone's tried to either push away or pretend it doesn't exist. And while I haven't seen what combo shaper can do modernly, I think it's just conduit after an APOC. Is that what it looks like? Yeah, I think so. Potentially conduit plus equivocation if you're feeling yes. super spicy. Yeah. Take two turns in a row or three turns in a row if you're lucky. So I don't know. Maybe your Tau deck is not that good. Maybe Apoc Lad is not that good. I just... Yeah. So Rodage actually put out what he landed on for New Diaper. Ooh. And it's on NRDB somewhere. The whole SBT put out a bunch of the testing decks to try to give mm-hmm. people a baseline. So shout outs to them. Yeah. And go to NRDB if you hear this before Worlds. Go take a look at those. But the whole consensus and the reason it was unbanned, because Rodich always tests diaper every SPL, every time. Just can I make some sort of diaper work? And the whole consensus was here was Rodich could not make it work. And Rodich is diaper, basically. So if Rodich can't make it work, let's see what the community can do, because we don't think it's possible. Um, and here you go. There's no reason to have this card on the SPL and bloat the SPL if there isn't a deck that it works in. And I think there's been this consensus now, not everybody agrees on the SPL or outside of the SPL that there's a such thing as a ban list that is too big. But there are some people that are like, if there's no reason to have it on and we can ban it after some sort of wild deck comes out, it's almost better to just have that wild deck once and then get rid of it with the ban hammer later than have like this huge list. So you're seeing this shift in thoughts of, cards that must always be on the ban list because they're either a problem or not good. And on course, what of those cards? If it becomes good again, we'll just ban it again. So whatever. That's a good point, right? Because this is, I think, I think the first ban list or most wanted list in which more cards have been added to the standard card pool than have come off, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's you know, a net positive. And when we're talking about this right now, like we're talking about what's going to potentially do well at the world scene. But of course the standard ban list or the standard, excuse me, uh, balance list, whatever it's called, excuse me, that affects everyone who wants to play in standard. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's totally fine that Encore is maybe not a most competitive card, but it's just another mm-hmm. tool for a lot mm-hmm. of people who are not even playing in worlds to play mm-hmm. with. Good for them. They're balancing for two crowds, but one crowd, I think, gets the majority of the conversation. It encourages exploration, too, because Rodich put out that deck, and maybe it isn't the most tuned version of what Diaper could be. And some people love combo. And if Mm -hmm. somebody can make it work and it turns out to be incredible, awesome. And it gets Mm -hmm. to be incredible for a little bit, and then it gets banned again. So (laughs) I like that idea of exploration. And when a formerly incredible card becomes kind of bad giving the people the wherewithal to test it out to see if you can make something work and remember you cannot encore ag infusion it's really hard oh it's very tricky just another (laughs) that's fair to hop on that bus (laughs) you have four out of the ashes if you somehow connect three of them (laughs) get along y'all somehow get rid of all their ice You're an actual predator as an APOC and then do a few things the next few turns deck 
is a deck that just has 20 ice. <laughs> yeah. And can make you run the remote server whenever they want. Yep. <laughs> That's actually the the ID that I was thinking about testing attrition out of was ag. So hmm. interesting. Yeah. Back in that good but folds if the right tech is played category, because Gagarin exists again, I think people may be a little shy about counter surveillance Zaya. But if Gagarin's not actually good and you dodge it for a couple rounds and you're at the top tables, then you might just get to play counter surveillance Zaya all day against decks that don't have high profile target. And it might not be a problem that there is a deck playing high profile target that exists again. Yeah, I think there's nothing in Wayland that's really pulling me to that direction. Mm-hmm. It's not Gagarin. I don't think it's outfit. Like, I don't want to play three pointers. Nope, like, absolutely not. There's very little pulling me that way. So I think you're right. Unless anyone's like, and like Argus NBN. is still super dead. Argus is even more dead with Mad Dash. Yeah, Argus is not really exciting. Unless anybody is playing NBN with kill packages, and mostly we've seen NBN Glacier, NBN mm-hmm. Exchange of Information, more mm-hmm. sort of that stuff. You're right. I do think one thing that is definitely worth mentioning, we haven't talked about CTM, but controlling the message could easily win Worlds this year. Yeah. yeah. Even with people playing things like Miss Bones and all this sort of stuff, it's worth knowing that obviously Pat Tap's really good into it, but like we lost 419. Mm-hmm. We lost the runner with Blink that punishes or makes you pay for going horizontal and is the deck in the meta that is most likely to play um, Citadel Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. That's gone now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the ability to go horizontal, threaten tags, and also potentially meet damage, like that got a bit better. Yeah. I think CTM's in a pretty okay spot. I think Pad Tap's the only bad thing. And arguably, well, Mad Dash for everyone, but yeah. what can you do? I think that the point that CTM is good is a very, very valid point here, though. Let's not ignore CTM. Like that is... Oh, well, yeah, that that is definitely true. The Zaya deck has a really good game against that, though. Mm-hmm. APOC does, too. We haven't talked much yeah, about APOC. Yeah. That's still a thing. Yeah. Right. That, that was actually going to be my next question. Are these APOX max lists that we've seen, are they just as good as they used to be? Or are they not liking the fact that the meta has gotten slower recently? And like, should we expect to see them in as large numbers at Worlds as we have in the past? I think slower is fine for them, right? Mm-hmm. The panic APOC that you do on turn three is nothing compared to the APOC you do on turn <laughs> nine, right? You also do have access to things like Mad Dash and Pad Tap, obviously. Like those are still fine after you APOC yeah. them. Sometimes you know where their agendas are, either off the top of R and D, if you see something, don't steal them, or they're in archives. So mm-hmm. like that's good for you. I think the biggest problem with that list specifically was that people over the continental season learned how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's still very, very difficult. And that's kind of the thing with a meta that's like wildly unsolved, is you don't know how much of your influence or how much of your slots you can put to deal with a certain deck. Like there's no sideboarding in this game, right? Yeah. But like if you could, it'd be so easy to put two arc lockdowns, two Salem's hospitality on retainer until you Mm -hmm. needed it. I think there's a chance that that deck does suffer to things like just Kakugo. At the end of the game, when you have five cards in hand and two of them are labor rights, good luck running, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how relevant Kakugo actually is. Yeah, I think that's the one key card that is potentially some glue to the meta, but we don't know what deck it goes in. I think I, you can play Kakugo in anything, right? Like if you're playing Jinteki, it's just a taxing enough barrier for four. You have to watch mm-hmm. out for turning wheels. Like that is going to burn yeah, you. Yeah, that's the big, yeah. It's just good. Like it's going to stop Apox. It's going to hit a diversion. It's going to hit some, I probably not going to hit a criminal breaker. They'd have to really do that to themselves yeah. for that to be a thing. But like, <laughs> that's good enough. Cards are good. You need to draw mm-hmm. cards. Yeah. I think one thing that actually really helps the Apox decks is sort of the natural predator that we saw arise over the continental season was this Acme deck where they were like, all right, you want to APOC me? Yeah, I'm only going to lose three ice, but you have to spend like 30 credits doing it. But does anyone want to play Acme when you can get mad dashed if you're Acme? I think that's a real question. It's not going to stop people yeah. from playing Ismari, you know? Yeah. 
Do you think that people are going to Salem's for Mad Dash? Like, do you think Salem's yeah. becomes more part of the meta? Uh, I'm not sure if that's the reason that you play Salem's, but I think it is. It becomes a very legitimate thing that you call before you go for a game winning score. If you already have it in your deck, I think you run Salem's because you expect a lot of max. Mm-hmm. But while you have it, one of the routes to win with it is calling Mad Dash. Okay. I was just thinking, well, yeah, you would run it for other things. The two yeah. obvious things are you get labor rights out of most flavors of Max. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you get APOC out of any APOC deck. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, I think Salem's is an underrated tech card. I mean, it has utility in every matchup. If you get the feeling that this Steve has been stockpiling some diversion of funds against you because you haven't gone for a score lately, just get him out of hand. Go, go away. Or like, you know, against counter surveillance Zaya, if you think that they have the Amina in hand but haven't found a thing to play it, just, all right, get that away. You can call things and be correct and get very large advantages out of it in any matchup. Mm-hmm. Just probably not enough if you don't expect a lot of these APOC and or labor rights decks. You have to be clever, which I yeah. think is my favorite part of the card. It's like watching someone who knows what they're doing with Salem's and can read the game mm-hmm. and read their mm-hmm. opponent's deck list is, oh, mm-hmm. it's such a treat to watch. Here's a question. Is Neurospec a card? Is Neurospec yes. a card that's going to win games? And I guess like Neurospec is a card. I think it will win games at Worlds. Is there a Neurospec deck that we think can actually break into something like a top 16? Oh, yeah. Neurospec, yeah, I think, is immensely underrated. So we've seen two big Neurospec decks. For those who don't know, it's an operation you can play after you've scored an agenda to do net damage equal to the amount of agenda points. So there's like two big ways to do it. I'm going to start with the one I think is less good, which you can play it in Wayland. And then if you score out something that's, you know, nylon and stealable in a remote server, like a CityWorks project, mm-hmm. you score that out and then either have two in hand, consult for one, Malapur, Data Vault for the second one. They're usually dead. Now, that's not bulletproof because you start to have to deal with things like, you know, obviously tech cards. That one's, I think that one, I think is a bit more projected. It's a sort of mm-hmm. matchup where you want damage protection, not net damage protection mainly. I've had worse as an issue. That's always going to be a problem oh, yeah. for you. Yeah. But the other one, and I think the other one's legitimate, barring again, drink every time you say Mad Dash. If you play yeah. the 5-3 suite and you're running re-education, if you get that installed advanced advance in a remote server, I think you have to advance it three times or mm-hmm. play some amount of seamless. I don't even think... Advanced seamless Neurospike kills. Exactly. Yes. Right. right. And re-education, the reason that that works, when you score re-education, it's a 5-3. When you score it, you can take any number of cards from HQ, shuffle them into the deck, and then... I, do you draw for it? Yeah, I think redraw you draw the same amount. but I don't. I, yes, it's the, not the, the relevant doesn't. part of the card. Yeah, the runner doesn't. The runner has to take the same number of cards, uh, throw them. I, I, do they shuffle them? Do they just the cards go somewhere? The, the somewhere is not their <laughs> yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah. And then they only have two cards in hand, and you spike them for three damage. So it avoids yeah. things like I've had worse. So we've seen that to some extent in things like Acme, which are really good at setting up beefy remotes quickly with a single piece of ice, like a yeah. data ward. You can't boomerang that. You're not going to botulist that anytime soon. Yeah. And you install advanced events. And if you have what's referred to as the nuts, turn three can be a lethal. Mm-hmm. Now, again, yeah. that's Christmas land to some extent. The fact that that deck can threaten and install advanced events to be lethal on a two card combo hand with the agenda, like, oh, man, and no one's playing. I feel like in the Genteki attrition decks, if those become a thing, like you're not incentivized to run no one home. You're more incentivized to run things like Caldera, which mm-hmm. you could pay through this. You could. It's just a bit more expensive. But uh, I mean, that's to prevent the kill out of it. It deals three damage. So you would have to have the Caldera down on turn two, and you would then have to have three extra credits to pump into it, right? 
it does keep no. you from losing but but like imagine cheap. that you're sitting down to an acme deck and you're really considering playing your caldera like that is oh god wild. that's awful yeah <laughs> i think it's a deck i, I honestly think it does I, I think nobody's been playing it publicly mm-hmm. really so no one really knows what it looks like or knows what a bad list looks like so it's yeah. something that people are going to solve behind closed doors yeah i think you're going to see it at worlds yeah, I think one of the challenging things with it is it asks you to do a lot of things to win with the combo. It asks you to have a certain collection of cards in hand because if you don't want to triple install the re-education, then you have to have a seamless in hand mm-hmm. and you have to also have the Norispec in hand. So you have to have two cards plus the agenda and you also have to have an end the run ice that the runner can't get through. And you have to do that all like ideally as fast as possible. So I don't know, it does ask you to do a lot of things but the raw power level is high. And I think this is one that like, in theory, it folds the right tech, but it kind of doesn't really because you're Acme. Who's going to install that tech against you when they're probably expecting you to just install dumb agendas and install dumb ice? I think we're maybe a bit too focused on the fact that it's potential. There's potential yeah. to get this out super early on, but like in the mid game, yeah. you probably have some combination of those cards. You do mm-hmm. install advanced events and they can't challenge it that turn. Yeah, good enough. Like you don't have to do it quickly. You can hit at any point in the game and you still win at that point. I guess the text that I don't remember on re-education, it is actually kind of relevant. Imagine, imagine for a moment that we somehow get into a situation where we have an Acme deck whose only out is to Neurospike win because just the runner is going to win very soon or something like that. And they install Advance Advance with the Seamless, but not the Neurospike hoping yeah. to draw it off of the re-education draw. Heart that, of the cards. Oh man, happen. heart of the cards. That would be so sick. That exact situation is very tough to actually happen, but it would be so sick if it did. There was a situation sort of like that with Dean. So there's this deck called Railgun. Played Accelerated Diagnostics. Yeah. And the idea was that it booms you twice to win the game. Mm-hmm. 14 meat damage. That's why it's called Railgun. Because <laughs> it doesn't it, matter how many cards you have. To, yeah. Yeah. So uh, he didn't have any of the cards he needed in hand and needed an exact set of like three cards to win, but he could tag the runner. So he just basically tagged the runner and went AD (laughs) and (laughs) ended up flipping the right cards in the right order. What a scumbag. (laughs) And was just like, okay, I guess I win. Yeah, that's sick. (laughs) Completely unironically, that's a very high level play. You lose a jaw drop punitive all the time. I don't say it happens. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you calculate it in your head and that's your only out, mm-hmm. like, it's like, uh, okay, you might as well do it. Cause if you hit it, you're a genius. And if you don't, well, you were going to lose the game anyway. So re education is still fine when you score it, right? Like, yeah. whatever. You scored re education. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like, all right, I have three points now, and I just drew a bunch of cards and got rid of some bad ones. They have nothing. Yeah. All right, I guess before we move on, let's get official predictions in motion so that we can either look like geniuses or morons at the end of the day. You have to pick a runner ID, and you have to pick a corp ID. What's winning worlds? Hmm. What's winning worlds? Um, Oh, man. Can I do two? Can I do the safe ones and the ones that I'm hoping for? Because I think the safe one is like, I think PD can win worlds. I think it is good enough. I think there's so much stuff going on now that it's hard to like specifically tech only against it because people aren't mm-hmm. sure how homogenous the meta might look like. And on the runner side, I think all criminals are the same. I'm just going to say criminal. I don't think Zion Steve decks are fundamentally that different. 
if I want to say what could win worlds, I think CTM can win any worlds. Am I right? Um, mm-hmm. It's proven that time and time again. I wouldn't be too surprised. Again, ag infusion. I'm going really wide here. I'm going to go for the shotgun approach. I can't be wrong this way. I'm not going to root for Adam, but I just don't think so. It, Adam is really tough to play and you are, the bad beats hit you harder, I think. Like if you can't get your brain chip spun up, you're struggling. And that is going to be a problem if you're playing that many rounds in a row. What do y'all think? Josh? Uh, I'm going to go with a split decision here as well. So oh, I, Come on. I know, I know, I know. Come on. I'm going to also say safe bets and hopes. Okay. This, so this I know is the that's... entire point of us having to commit to only one. Yeah. Okay. I, I have my, my bad. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I only going to do one each for both. Okay. So safe bets. Safe bets is PD and Zaya. Okay. Because PD, I mean, it didn't lose anything. Everybody knows it's good. It's really fast. Uh, yeah, sure. The meta is slowing down, but not this deck. You know, this deck is still going to be fast. So if runners start to tech against slow things, it's like, oh, okay, cool. I'll just, I'll just go fast. Yeah, whatever. Uh, and Zaya, because like, there's not a deck that plays high profile that's good. Uh, the only thing that was good, I think, was Rude. And Rude is a putative deck that you don't want to play into Mad Dash. So Zaya is just incredible and accesses a billion cards. And if there's no tech against it, I think that it just kind of runs over things. So I think those are the safe bets. Uh, and I think Zaya is safe because also I think a lot of people are going to, like you said, panic PD. So the hopes are my boy Adam on the runner side because this is the best chance that Adam has ever had to be super good because he's also just, you know, busted ass criminal. Like he's not busted ass as in good, but I mean, he's a little bit broken. He's a little bit beaten down. He's discount criminal. So my boy Adam is my hope on runner side. And then on Corp, I don't know if I have a hope for that one. I guess <laughs> something meme I guess I hope it would be like Acme, Neurospike. And then there's a bunch of things that could win. Stop it. Stop it. Stop I'll it. stop. <laughs> <laughs> my choices are PD and Max. No elaboration. No further questions. Okay. So the standard ban list did nothing is what you're saying. Correct. Oh, okay. All right. Wait, shit. I just answered a question. We should move on. <laughs> PD's the safe bet and Max is his hope. <laughs> now, all right. There's actually an even better part of Worlds we haven't talked about, and that's getting outplayed and absolutely demolished, which brings us to... Why would you do that? Wow, this is the first why would you do that we've done in like forever. I know. I realized we hadn't done this segment in a long time. So welcome to why would you do that? In this segment, we want to know... What is the worst deck you've played at a Worlds event? And this is main event, King of Servers, Icebreaker. They all count. But let's try to focus on the ones we played in the main event or the Icebreaker, especially if you've played at the FFG Center. Yeah. King of Servers is there to bail you out if you've only played good decks at Worlds. But ideally, let's talk about the actual very bad decisions we made on a very big stage. All right. So I've only played at two Worlds. So we're talking about four decks total here, right? Mm-hmm. I think, in retrospect, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong about this, but I know it didn't perform well, so I feel like it's worse than it was, but Ben Nee 
sold me on this Val deck back in the day. This is 2017, I think. And it was a run amok deck that mm. would install Magnum Opus and then click Magnum Opus a lot to have a lot of money. And then you play Maw, the console. And yeah. then basically you'd have pseudo infinite money so that you could get pseudo free runs and start, you know, dismantling their hand. And that was in response, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was 2017 to 2018 uh, because CI was like a relevant yeah. threat at that yeah. time. So that was the sort of deck that you would basically have this very linear game plan to get spun up. Otherwise, you would just like, you know, inject regular Anarch back in the day. And that was the deck that I played. And I had some really exciting games. But every time you played the deck, it was basically like some sort of long ritual in which you prayed to whatever gods you believed in, just hoping that the mall worked. Mm -hmm. And it didn't always work. I didn't win Worlds in 2017, as it turned out. So that was probably, I think, the least... It was an interesting deck, but the way that it played was actually very quite boring. Unfortunately, that's not something I considered at the time. It was just like every game felt the same, which is not uh, a treat, I really don't think. Otherwise, like, again, there's only four decks here I'm talking about. Like, I played uh, Titan. Mm -hmm. I played, uh, I didn't make a lot of friends. I played, uh, four, I, I, ooh, okay. When you go to Worlds, you have to kind of make an agreement with yourself what your expectations are. Like some people show up saying like, I'm going to win Worlds. I'm going to go to day two. I'm going to make friends. Like, that's fine. Whatever your goals are, that's fantastic. I hope you reach them. Um, but I showed up and the question was, I'm going to play the deck that I don't think can win Worlds, but the deck that I know I can play the best. So I play Geist mm. with a bunch of resources because that's how you did it. And it was like three rounds in, four rounds in. I was maybe at the mid tables. I think I was skirting top tables at some point. And they played against somebody who was playing, I think, sports metal. And on turn two, turn three, behind an archer or something ridiculous, they rezzed a corporate town. And I wish I played any other deck in the game. It oh, was God. So miserable playing Geist with no resources. Oh, no. It was the, it was the worst. I should have conceded, but obviously you don't at that like stage. You don't concede at Worlds. That'd be really silly. But I, that was, I think, my, my worst experience by like a mile. The breaking and entering breakers don't even fully break Archer. Like they break the relevant subroutines, but they technically don't even fully break oh, it. Oh, no, no. Your plan was like oh, back then, I think you had Maxwell James, but good luck doing all that at once. Like, it was, <laughs> oh, it was hard. It was like a lot of click for credits. Oof. And the thing is like that deck couldn't even close the game fast. So like you had to watch it happen for a while. <laughs> Oh, feels bad. Feels bad. Oh. Right, right. Because a they sports just, metal that can't close the game fast. Yeah, they they just turned their scoring server into a corporate town server. It was a so. it was a prison deck in purple. It was <laughs> real upsetting for me. Oh, terrible. That's not what you yeah. expect to see either. No. So, and the thing is, like, there's probably only one deck like that at the whole tournament, and you know that's right. how you yeah. feel. Like, this is not a thing. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve yeah. this. Which is, you know, a really shitty take. But uh, yeah, how it feels at the moment. I have an answer for this as well. Speaking of decks that should go fast that don't, 2016 Worlds, I played a really good runner. We called it Minnesota Andy. Pretty much the same Andy that the, the Brits brought that year, but it was slightly different. They thought Turning Wheel was bad, so they ran a 1x medium, and we ran two Turning Wheels, plus we spent an influence on something else. I don't remember what it was. This deck was pretty good. I got some good early game wins with it. Oh, we also played Peregrine unironically, which Ooh. was fantastic. But, Spicy back in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. I did derise a couple of Fairchild threes though, which was fantastic. So I had really liked the sleeper hold deck that the big boy had uh, put together at that point in time. And I liked Jammy HB, but with like a little bit of fast advance in it to close out the game. So I tried to high rise the decks. But I took out everything that made Jammy HB, Jammy HB, 
and I took out everything that made sleeper hold sleeper hold. Oh. So I had this weird HB that could fast advance, but not very well, and had really terrible ice. <laughs> so I proceeded to basically try to jam agendas only to get them stolen nearly every single time, every single round <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck monstrosity did I put together? This deck does not work in any way, shape or form. And I also misread the breakers in the meta at that point in time. So every breaker was efficient against every ice that I chose. So I was like, Oof. all right, I guess this is how I, how I not win worlds. Uh, or not make it to day two. I won like one game with that HP deck. I lost like one game with the Andy deck. And I think it was to Ben Mason, who's like a top 16 Uber player, especially mm -hmm. at that time. So destined to lose that game anyway, no matter how good my deck was. Um, where am I going with this? I don't know. Oh, so I have also like an answer that was like a play that destroyed me. So Ooh. same event or same year 2016 but this was king of servers there was this redux or uh reprise if you will of a matchup against me and dave hoyland in king of servers the previous year i had beaten him on a side game and uh, we were both on match point when our king of servers teams met up we went fuck the records and we were gonna face each other he just kind of <laughs> sat down across from me he's like okay this is happening again because i think I think somehow I, I don't remember if we split or if I swept him the previous year, but um, I wasn't paying attention to what decks people were on. So I didn't really know what hate bear was. Mm -hmm. I was playing soul at this time and I play soul very aggressively where I try to score that Astro just immediately, especially since the one X at that time, I'm like, okay, I need to get this out there. So I have a fast advance tool. So I open up and it's this beautiful hand for not playing against hate bear. So I keep it and I ice the remote. I stick something behind it and I gain some money and Hoyland looks at me and he's like, are wh what? I don't, <laughs> why did you? All right. Siphon. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, Whoops. I didn't. Ooh. <laughs> I didn't know what your deck did. <laughs> and then at that point, I knew I was going to lose the game and he wasn't shaking tags. So I just used my exchange of informations to uh, keep taking the Astro script from him, which he eventually popped down a turntable and would take it back from me. We just played tug of war over the Astro script. And I'm like, I just want to have Astro script when the game ends. That's winning to me now because I'm not winning this game. <laughs> so... A bad play and a bad deck. You got both. Oof. The answers for me for the main event, we've talked about those on previous episodes. We had the Not Quite Potatoes deck that I reverse engineered in 2017. And then that same year, what I think was actually a good deck, the 3X indexing max that was just into a field of a lot of PE. Honestly, most of the decks that I've played at Worlds were pretty good and I let them down tremendously. But... A deck that I played one of the two years at an icebreaker thinking this is the deck that I'm probably going to play in the main event was a rig shooter Scorpio stack. And just round after round running into, oh, okay, this is, uh, this is another deck that's on Tapworm and three Sacrificial Construct. I'm not having a great day today. <laughs> 
probably the worst deck that I've attempted to play at the main event. Just not a great plan, not a great deck in general, and ran into a bunch of really gross tech against it and convinced me that I needed to try something else out. <laughs> and I was glad that I had brought all of my cards instead of just the cards for that deck. You always bring all your cards to Worlds if you can, right? Because yeah. something always sneaks up on you. I need to editorialize myself real quickly. I think I might have said that my deck ran run amok. I meant to say frantic coding. Oh, frantic frantic coding. Coding. Yeah, that makes yep. a lot more sense. That yeah, makes right. A lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you frantic coding out the magnum opus. Excuse yeah, me. yeah. Said, frantic coding is a sick card. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's a free magnum, yeah. um, or at least for three cards. Yeah, I, I sometimes say the wrong word. Yeah, I, oh. I heard run amok, and I never circled back to that thought. I was like, oh, okay, like that's, that's weird. That's a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, it's a credit to uh, Ben Nee and how much Ben tried different cards that we look at run amok. And I remembered what it did. It's the one that trashes the ice that they run on that run. Or that, that they, they res. Yeah, exactly. It's a credit to him being willing to try out so much stuff that I'm like, oh, okay. That kind of made makes sense. It grocks. Yeah. It's yeah. good enough that he might try it out. So yeah. I, I said I brought a Ben Nee deck and that didn't, my least favorite deck I brought, that's not a disrespect to Ben Nee. Ben Nee's the best. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. This process of iteration, this process of trying out new decks, that does bring to mind a different topic that we touched on very briefly at the beginning of this episode, but have not really come back to. Andre, we would like to talk about some of the memories that you've oh. created for people who play this game. That's right. It's time for... No. No. Didn't think I was going to get away with that one, but figured it was worth a try. All right, it's time for an offer you can't refuse. And also, you can't refuse. We have Godfather vibes for this segment because we want to talk about making classic films or streams of the Netrunner variety. I'd like to start off simple. How did you get involved with creating content for Netrunner? So I've been playing for a couple of years. And at this point, I think I had just graduated from university. So it came out and I didn't want to immediately run into and get a job and, you know, enter the workforce. Got a camera. That was the thing. I was working in video throughout my university and I was playing Netrunner. So I thought we can put the two together and use this as an opportunity because I was working doing freelance video stuff. Oh my God. The first regional I ever shot and put up onto the channel. That's like one of the first videos. It was in this tiny mm -hmm. cramped space. Regionals back in the day, like they had huge attendance. Montreal had a really, really, really big scene. It's only like kind of regrowing to that point at this point right now, which is really cool to see. But we had a lot of players and it was in this tiny store where they were already, I think, a bit short on space. There was also like a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament and maybe something else. Like we were knee to knee in the back and it was in the middle of the summer, it was August. So it was awful conditions. And I was like, I'm not taking the camera out. I'm still playing in the regional too. I'm going to wait to the top cut. And luckily by the top cut, it emptied out a bit. You could mm -hmm. maybe stretch your legs. And I set up and started filming. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. And I started doing some motion graphics stuff. That's actually how I taught myself how to like make cards move and do effects and stuff like that. So we started like that. And that video went up. I did commentary with Benoit or Pat. We played Never all together. And so that came up and the response was really good. So I kept doing that and kept bringing my camera to different places, to GNKs, and it wasn't now at the top cut. It was such a time intensive process back in the day just to do a video, right? Like you had to edit it. I kept track of all this stuff. Like again, huge respect to Team Covenant and all the other people who also did this, like Trace5 or Team Arcast. Like uh, you know how much time this takes if you've done it yourself. But doing all that stuff with the card art and all that, it was, uh, it was really time intensive. And it's something I don't think is sustainable unless it's like your full-time mm -hmm. job, which luckily for me, being unemployed largely, it was a thing I could get away with. 
for a couple of years until it became, um, I entered the workforce properly, I suppose. And I did not have the time to do it. I just didn't mm -hmm. put up a video on my YouTube channel and say like, Hey, I'm just going to try live streaming maybe once a week and we'll just make content from there. And I used to also record games. Like I would record games, just me and myself narrate what I'm doing. I'd put this up on YouTube and we putting out like two, three videos a week at a while. I look back at it and this is, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I realized nobody said anything. But for like two, three years, when I lived in one of my college apartments, I had this computer monitor that was so undersaturated. If you look at any of the thumbnails for a certain era, they are blown out beyond recognition. <laughs> Maybe this just bothers me because I spend time making thumbnails, but it is awful. The colors are just so horrendous and all the whites are like blinding. Oh, no. no one said anything. And on my monitor, they looked sick. That's basically kept going on at this point. I don't want to say that I'm coasting, but at this point, like it's just been every Thursday night's a really nice time mm -hmm. to hang out and it's not like a stress anymore. I've just been doing it yeah. so much. It's like really casual, which is really great. I did some videos this year for system gateway launch and some tips for new players. And that's been, you know, very well received. I'm glad mm -hmm. everyone's been enjoying that stuff, but that's yeah. largely how we got here. It's just kind of a thing that I wanted to do with all my effort. And then you just get jaded and you sit back. I'm kidding. It's uh, <laughs> It's been a lot of fun though. Very thankful for the uh, everyone who's just been watching yeah. and interacting. I think that that process of like scaling back to what's sustainable is really important yeah. if you're creating content for sure. There's so many people, you know, whose who's livelihood depend on creating content. When you're your own boss or the algorithm is your boss, it's very, very easy to sink yourself into what's uh, probably uh, immensely unhealthy. I obviously don't have to do that. Like I, I don't financially depend on the channel. The channel loses money. Honestly, we don't yeah. make money off the channel. I think I found a good balance. I wish I could do it a bit more, but like time has been really tight. I feel you on that. For the first time ever in the offer you can't refuse segment, we have bonus cannoli. Is the singular of cannoli cannolis? It's probably cannolo. Uh, yeah, I guess. It's well, Italian, it's a bonus cannoli, so you can make a portmanteau. It can be a cannolis. Yeah, that's. Ooh, there we go. All right. So our first canolis, we've talked a little bit about some of the changes over the years, but has your overall approach changed over the years? To making content in general? Yeah. Not too much. It's interesting because every once in a while, the algorithm will recommend you content from the channel and that'll be like watching me three, four years ago. And it's weird to have that sort of capsule, right? Of how things were, how you were, what you thought a couple of years ago. I think largely we haven't changed too much. I think there was a period in time where I maybe cursed a bit much, but that was actually mm. not when I was the youngest. When I did like data pack reviews, I feel like I used to be more concise, which mm. is strange. I feel like it would be the opposite that when I was younger, I felt like I had more to say maybe or more to prove. Maybe that's not the case. I feel like the tone has been kind of consistent. The things that I value, like explaining why things are happening, trying to make it fun and trying to be as approachable as possible. Like that's been pretty consistent, at least according to me. Like, I don't know how that tracks. I don't know if there's been that big changes over time. I mean, maybe I need sense. to reinvent myself. Like I'll just start doing streams and characters and like costumes and stuff like that. It'll be fun. I was going to say, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But I kind of do like this idea of like, all right, this week I'm Steve. That's the thing that like really does worry me. Is like, I know that I have a platform. I know there's an audience and I know to some extent, like I'm not doing the most with it that I could. That's always a weird thing for content creators to feel like constantly, like there's an audience. If you're not there on Thursday, you're letting people down, which, you know, that's a healthy relationship, I guess. But like, maybe to some extent I'm, I'm too comfortable and uh, I need to challenge myself. I mean, honestly, having watched you do commentary on things like worlds, I wouldn't really change a thing as far as <laughs> that you. goes. I meant it when I set it up top. You're one of the uh, key cards, so to speak, when it comes to the commentary, the spin doctor. 
it comes through. It's approachable and it makes sense and it explains game states and you do it without being critical of the people you're watching too, which I think is really huge. This is why this play might've been made or we have the perfect information here, everybody. So like, yeah. don't judge too harshly and stuff like this. So it comes through, it's very approachable and it's, it's nice. Changes though, that's actually probably the most noticeable. I have gone from someone who's classically tried to compete in Netrunner mm-hmm. and I've kind of pushed that aside and tried to focus more on commentary. I feel like I have a more clean path not to be the best Netrunner player, but to be like the best Netrunner commentator. And I think that's something I'd probably I'd actually enjoy more, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because there's less stress. Commentary has been really fun. I, I like making the games also seem really exciting, which for the last two years has been kind of really necessary when we're looking at Jinteki.net for better or worse. Like it's not an exciting UI, no disrespect to JNet. JNet is amazing, but like you got to make people care about it. And Mm -hmm. I think getting excited is a really good way. And frankly, with some of the decks involved as well, if you were commentating a string of Acme games, it's a very good deck, but there are many turns where you're pulling yourself through them. Well, let's talk about how this is going to matter in five turns, right? Yeah. (laughs) You you have to look at it in totally different ways. Sort of like the Potatoes decks where if you were commentating on those, oh, and it looks like Dan Dargenio took three again. Yeah, you just counted right. your points. Yeah. As much as we criticize the world's 2017 coverage, and I think for good reason, that said, like if you're commentating some of those CI combo decks, what do you have to say some of those turns? Oh, I still think you have a lot, right? Like what runners are doing to threaten, so, yeah. what cards in hand matter at the toy, like with the probability of them popping off. I think those are the lines they have to talk about, which, yeah. you know... They didn't take those, but I think it is still objectively a bit harder to talk about that than it is to talk about like a Polana deck that just installed an ice. I don't know if the footage still exists, but there was this game that some amazing commentary for sort of all of the wrong reasons. I even know who it was. We shouldn't put a person directly on blast here. Not the commentators, not the commentators. Okay. I'm not going to put the commentators on blast. Okay, good, I'm, good. The game was Chris Dyer versus LeBergen. It was them, but it was Haley versus the CI combo kill deck. And the commentators didn't really know what was going on with these combo decks. So they couldn't make commentary on the combo lines. The commentary actually had this sort of hilarity to it because it didn't directly relate to what was going on in the game. But the game itself, for anybody that knew what was going on with the Haley deck and the combo decks, it looked like nothing was happening, so to speak. But if you knew that the lines that both players were trying to take, it was actually a really exciting back and forth. LeBergen actually kind of commentated on that right before the, the stream cut back to the commentators. And like he held out his hand and said to Chris, you know, that was awesome. That was like the best game I played all day. And the, and the commentators were like, all right, so it looks like Chris Dyer won, but we're not really sure what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for context, for those who are not familiar, 2017 is a really weird year because yeah. uh, Fantasy Flight Games was running the stream, right? Yeah. So the only people that they were comfortable, you know, representing themselves were employees. And just unfortunately, none of the FFG Netrunner employees or employees in general were anywhere near as entrenched with the competitive side as maybe some people from the community. So it, yeah, it was it was not a highlight of that of that year for sure. Yeah. Day one, though, they let Stephen Woolley snuck on stream. I think he got there at the end too. I think they had him in for the finals as well. Yeah. So they let a couple of people sneak in that weren't in plays. Yeah. It, it wasn't like you could just ask, like, can I do it? And they'd be like, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. They had a relationship yeah. with Team Covenant at that point. So 
I don't want to take all the limelight too. Like, I, I think one thing that's been really good for me as well is like, I've had the opportunity to cast with fantastic people, not only throughout the years, but like modernly, like mm-hmm. I, I kind of worry that I take up too much space, but like, it, it's been so fun over the last uh, years, even like doing the online commentary, like Nisei, just getting people to come on and commentate alongside. It's like, it's so much more fun to do this with people than alone. And it's been a great experience. I think we can both relate to the, if you have to do an entire event by yourself, it's much harder. You only talk to yourself for so long. Mm-hmm. Another canola here, another bonus cannoli. All these years later, six years later, what motivates you to keep doing it? It's still really fun. The game itself has proven it to be like very interesting. Like Netrunner is a fantastic game in terms of player expression, the ability to, to play amazingly and to misplay amazingly are always yeah. on the table, which is just fantastic for making content. Uh, not that I, you know, you go out of your way to throw games, but like it happens. Oh man, that's a totally different conversation, but I am very happy to to fail miserably publicly. Like more people need to do that. I think it's way more important than just sharing successes, but uh, that's beyond the point. I think another thing is like the community that has kind of become a thing in the Metro grid. They're just fantastic folks. Like I'm, it's just every Thursday I have, you have people jump up and chat and be like, yo, how's it going? How's your week? It's been also fantastic. So it's been really easy to continue doing this thing. I I don't see when we would stop doing it. It's been a treat. I think everyone who regularly watches Metropole Grid is probably happy to hear (laughs) that exact sentence. Oh, they know. They know what they're about. They know they're good people. Okay, one more canola's here. Actually, we've got a couple more, but the next one. Is there anything that you've wanted to do or wanted to make but have not had a chance to? Oh, there's so much stuff. I hope I've gotten better at this, but the things that I've promised that I do that like just never end up happening because of time constraints. And mm-hmm. that is something I need to get better with. No joke tournaments that I've shot that I just haven't got down to sit down to edit either because mm-hmm. time constraints or I think the finale of the tournament was upsetting and it's just not good to watch. Like yeah. there's a lot of reasons that there's stuff that just lies on the editor, uh, editing room floor. On top of that, we went through all the cards of system gateway. It's like 14 hours of content. People ask, can you please do that for system update 2021? And I would love to, but it's just very difficult to get the time together to do all that stuff. The amount of time to get there is six times that. So it's Mm -hmm. difficult. I wish we also ran more events. Like that's the thing right now that's really lacking in my local meta. And I don't know, I guess to some extent it's on me to step up and fix that because I have the biggest platform, I guess. But like to run more events, to have more organized play. We used to do a bit more of that. There's technical stuff. Like I wish it was easier to watch games online. Like a good mm-hmm. friend of mine has put together a Twitch API so you can see deck lists. That's been beautiful. Mm-hmm. But like having something you can mouse over cards to see cards, having deck trackers, all that sort of stuff that helps people not only get the game, but also get into making content. There's so much that's still to be done. The problem is I don't have the amount of time I did six years ago. And I, I have to get used to that. I need to underpromise and over deliver as opposed to the opposite. Yeah. The amount of time being a living factor is so true. We, we came here with the thought of, like, can we get Metropole Grid scoops? But if a limiting factor is bandwidth, is, a, is there a way for people to get involved and help with this stuff? Yes and no. Like, that's another downfall is like people email me for things like, check out this deck list or like, can you help me with this? And then like, I just don't get to it, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a huge failing and like, oh, feels bad. It's the sort of thing that keeps you up at night. So apologies for that. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, I've always would take any sort of help if people want to work on these sort of things. Like if you want to crowdsource some of these solutions, that's fantastic. If there's like tournaments that you're running that you want this platform to help plug, like I'm excited to do that. I think it's stuff like that. Last canola's here. Let's say that there are people listening to this episode who are thinking, okay, this whole Netrunner content creation thing sounds pretty cool. And they're thinking about getting into it themselves. 
what advice would you have to that person? Oh, this is great. I really, in terms of the things that like, I think I'd want to do, one of them is like to put a video up of how to make content well, mm. because I've made bad content. I actually encourage everyone to I make can bad content. To yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. we do. We do every time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a whole brand. That. But like, no joke, making bad content is the most important thing you can do. Make a bad content, watch it yourself, destroy it, or keep it on somewhere. Like, that's the most important thing you can do. You're not mm-hmm. going to get better until you make bad content. You have to be okay with that fact. What you need to do to make good content. Okay. Firstly, I don't think you need a webcam, but if your microphone is bad, your audio is bad, people are not going to want to listen to it. Unfortunately, I'm aware that this makes accessibility a, little, a fair bit more difficult. Things have gotten a bit more affordable modernly. You can get a nice microphone for not that much money, whatever. Let's not focus on that too much. Secondly, how to set up all the software. OBS is free. If you want to record a stream, that is okay. You just need a computer. It doesn't need to be a very powerful computer. You're not running 3D graphics or anything like that. So that's a good start. I think I have some pet peeves. I, I think I have like a couple hints of things that really help make better content on JNet. If you hit control and plus or control on the mouse wheel and zoom in, you want to make things as big as possible because that's unfortunately the UI in JNet is really weird because that's to fit a lot of different spaces. So there's a lot of dead space, unfortunately. So you want to minimize that. And a really important thing, if you go in JNet and you go to the settings tab, there is a button that was added actually as feedback a couple months ago, I think earlier this year with feedback due to people who respond to me like, hey, Andre, mm-hmm. I watched your channel. It would be cool if when you highlighted a card, it stayed in the top right corner if you moused off of it. There's a button to do that now. Oh, which, yeah. Oh, the that's, JNet devs. that's so cool. So good. It's in there. You'll <laughs> find it. It's called like mouse over something, something. Those I think are my two big things. Get a good microphone, zoom in, show the card art. Be as approachable as possible is definitely a good thing, but your audience doesn't have to be new players. That's fine. Whatever. Do what it, what you will. But uh, I think that's largely it. It takes practice. Make bad content. I think that's the most important thing is just make bad content. Show it to your friends. Get some feedback from people who you know you respect their feedback to. It's, it's the mm-hmm. only way to improve. You're not going to make good content your first time through. Like I've done this for six years. I still make shit content. That's fine. When you're getting that feedback, stress that you're not going to hurt my feelings if you're honest about it. That's one of the most important things is like people still consistently give me feedback on the content I make. And I really value that people saying Mm -hmm. like, Hey, it'd be easier for me if you did this or like, Hey buddy, you know, some of it will be in horrible taste. You have to ignore that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of up on you, but Mm -hmm. uh, you you always have to be asking questions. Like you can spend a lot on really good microphones, but I will say a really good microphone is not going to mean a whole lot if your environment is not great either, but you don't have to spend a lot of time on that either. You can put a heavy blanket over a window, close doors, stuff a towel under the gap. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot to actually soften the echoes in spaces and to prevent sound from getting in. So creative solutions don't have to be very expensive. Just learning about how sound travels also helps. I think, Orbital, you mentioned one of the most exciting things about content creation, which isn't obvious. Like the hardest thing you to do is to do the first one, right? But then, mm-hmm. you know, you EQ, say you EQ unoptimally. From that point on, you start realizing what's good and you get a workflow. And now what used to take mm-hmm. you six hours can take you one hour. And that's mm-hmm. the sort of thing that once you hit that ramp and you're like, wait, I feel empowered. I can make stuff. Oh, you have mm-hmm. to keep fighting till you get there. It's not instant and it takes work. But yeah, yeah you're right. Once, once you get there and you're like, you kind of know what you're doing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a great feeling. Again, we're not going to claim that this is quality, though. I mean, this oh, is... no, no, no. Talking exclusively about things that are not the slums cast uh, in that one. Yeah. Do we have any other uh, commentary that we want to make on making commentary? I don't know. I'm excited to see what the future brings. Netrunner is in an interesting space, and I think it's only going to continue being an interesting game to talk about and to play. So 
people back in person. Like we're going to see live yeah. streams that are live streams like OTG. Y'all had that. That was like one of the first tournaments I saw in person. But it was so cool to see in person, like high quality Netrunner stream. That's fantastic. I'm being completely honest when I say I was even happy to deal with things like Gware. Oh my God, it's a physical card. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah, a yeah. physical card that's screwing me over instead of JNet. Buy your Dragon Shield anti-clairs, y'all. Yeah. Here we go. Absolutely. So speaking of making the game better for the future, it's time for a segment on this here Slums cast. Classically, one of our longer segments. This is going to take mm-hmm. a bunch of time. Longer than the whole rest of the episode prior to this. Always. Is absolutely a bunch of discussion, bunch of back and forth on how it's going to affect the meta, a bunch of explanation and commentary. That's right. It's time for Ban or Nab. So this week on Ban or Nab, you have a pick for us, Andre. What card would that be? I'd like us to consider Embolus. So Embolus, Ban or Nab? Ban. Ban. Nab. A controversial pick on Banner Nab. As always, we would love to discuss it, but unfortunately, we have to move on to the bad card of the... Well, actually, this one's slightly different this episode. Normally, this is the point where we discuss the bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it. But we have something slightly different this time. We have the bad card of the week that's still bad and you shouldn't play it at Worlds. So it's okay to play it this week. It's okay to play it after this week, but you cannot play it at Worlds. What is... The bad card of the week that's still bad and you shouldn't play it at Worlds. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to put forward Restoring Humanity. It is a genetic mm-hmm. identity. That's all I can say about it. The other ones do things. Restoring Humanity certainly does exist. I guess it, like the, the thing it does is give you 40 cards, right? I, I think if you, if you really value the 44 cards, that's the only reason you'd do that. But um, do grinder decks want that? Do you want to run three-pointers? Do you want to play an ID that does something? All good questions here. Yeah, Restoring Humanity does not seem like a great identity to me. It's like it has all of the same weaknesses as Pawana in the sense of pad tap still completely destroys you. Your pad tap quote unquote counterplay is you just don't make money, but then you have a blank ID. You know, it's actually yeah. kind of better. Maybe I'm, I'm missing the point of the, the segment here, but like it, it's, it triggers at the end of your turn. So not on the runner's turn. So at least if mm-hmm. you play hedge fund, you don't get like dunked on the runner's turn too. You know what I mean? Like Pawana. Yeah, I can buy that. Not, not all cards need to be competitive. I, I want to start yeah. there and then just say, I hope Restoring Humanity doesn't win world so I don't look really silly. Oh, God, we all <laughs> will. Because, I mean, th- this is our podcast. We're going to look dumb if we kept that in and then it wins. <laughs> yeah, we're going to look dumb anyway. <laughs> true, so. true, true. What do you do in that ID that you can't probably do better in Pilana or in Ag Infusion? Have I'm not 44 sure. 44 cards. Yeah. That's it. If there's a combo restoring humanity list out there, I guess it's better out of restoring humanity than it is out of any of the others, but I'm not sure what it would be. I don't know if there is a combo other than like score three pointer plus neurospike. And I don't think that that's okay. Josh, what's your, what's your pick? What's your bad card of the week? That's still bad. And you shouldn't play it at worlds. I'm going to go spicy here and I'm going to plead with our audience and ask you not to play mad dash. (laughs) It's bad for the game. It messes with agenda math. And I believe if you truly care about Netrunner, you will cast it down and you will reject it and you'll make the worlds a better place. You want to be the only one playing Mad Dash? Yeah, yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. If you had to pick one that's actually bad, though, rather than bad for the game. <laughs> yeah, I need a second to figure out a card my bad card of the week that's still bad and you shouldn't play it at Worlds is one that I think has come up in the past on this very segment, and it's Aeneas Informant. 
I think that there is a thought of like, oh, Gagarin is in the field again. There are two horizontal decks that exist. I think that I can see why people are a little bit inclined to slot something like an Aeneas Informant in their deck because it's like, all right, this gives me passive money when I do things that I normally want to do against these decks. Just play an extra Miss Bones. Just play an extra Miss Bones. Like, I understand that if you trash things with Miss Bones that you don't get a turtle counter, but it's better to trash the thing than it is to get the turtle counter. Just play Miss Bones. Just play three of them if you need to. Cheat a fourth Miss Bones into your deck before you play a single Aeneas Informant. You'll win more games that way. And yes, I know you'll get DQ'd. All right, I got it. It's a combo, though. Don't play Tread Lightly, Tau. Ooh. It's calling out Bushi. <laughs> it's not actually good. It's this magical Christmas land where they have a bunch of ice on a server and you've stacked it just correctly and you can drain them of a bunch of credits hitting a tread lightly at the right exact time. But that's magical Christmas land. Number one, corpse are incredibly rich. The good corpse are at least. PD is not going to care that much about spending an extra three credits for an ice. Number two, with Tread Lightly, they're not going to res three ice and drain themselves of nine extra credits. They're going to res like the one ice that is the most expensive thing because when you go to Tread Lightly, they're probably expecting you to get into whatever server that is. So the best they can do is tax you. So they're going to just res probably one ice at the extra three credits to tax you the most that they can. It wants to be doof. It wants to be siphon, but it's not actually. So I don't know that that deck is as good as that people think it is. And specifically, I would not play Tread Lightly in Tau. I can see the logic of playing Tread Lightly. If people are going for these credit perfect early scores because they know they'll make their money back off of their agenda, that's where it's good and where it's disruptive. But you could also just be a crim and play inside job. Yeah, like it's a very specific situation that the yeah. card is good in. And inside job is better in more other situations. Yeah, and you can also just be Grim. Oh, I like Shaper Tread Lightly. No one respects it. Your SMC only gets through one ice. You probably do it against PD, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm, there's better I'm choices not... for decks, though. And I think yeah. that people are looking at Tread Lightly like it's way better than it is. Okay, so I, I disrespected your your ask there, Pants. I, I picked a card <laughs> that isn't necessarily, like, bad, it's bad if you take the opportunity cost into account, I think. Do I think that Tread Lightly is a good card that you would want to include in your Tau deck? Yes. Do I think that you should be playing Tau? Absolutely not, because the power that you get from something like a Tread Lightly and an SMC, I think you get better from a Boomerang and being a Crim. It's not as good as you think it is, and therefore I don't think you should play for Worlds. Now, we are disrespecting it right here. So we're kind of, if, if Tau on Tread Lightly does well at Worlds, we are absolutely proving Andre's point. I'm willing to take that, but I don't think that I'm wrong. So take a chance here. Yeah, I don't know if I call Tau Tread Lightly an archetype, but it's two cards you can put in the same deck. Well, yeah, interestingly, Tau and Tread Lightly are both in that new diaper list. You have Tread Lightly's in that to help you. Oh, that's pop. cool. Okay, yeah. I'm in on this now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, because you do it on Centrals. No, that's sick. I'm in. Yeah. Well, I think it's also to help you contest early remote scores before you can combo off. Sure. And like my that's... guess, you're, I think the deck's on three of them, so it's probably both. But imagine that, right? Like, you know you're going to APOC them, and then you're basically saying, do you want us res this for four or seven? 
just to lose <laughs> it. Like they, they just don't res, and then you save money. I'm into yeah. this. I, I've changed teams. I've seen a, the... a decent amount of it on JNet. It's okay. I'm gonna like, lose to okay. it. I'm gonna put two cards, two ice remote. I'm gonna lose to it. To be fair, this says a lot about me, sure, but I've lost to a lot of decks that are bad. Paragon Smoke. Excuse you, I won that game. I almost lost to Paragon Smoke. I get it, though. I mean, especially since that deck only runs two Encores, it's only trying to get, like, two extra turns. So oftentimes you will probably not need to spend all four of your clicks Encoring and installing a Conduit. You can just say, okay, like, I use two out of the Ashes and then one Tread Lightly on a central, and then I encore twice and I drop my conduit and like next turn I use the rest of the out of the ashes. I, I can see why it's good in that deck, but again, I'm not convinced that that's a deck that you want to be on versus being a crim or being Max. Oh, this would be Max's last draw, huh? It would. It depends on Nisei, I guess. If for some reason Max is the Anarch ID in Borealis, then, you know, I'll be very happy, but a lot of people will be very mad. There's no way it's going to I mean, there's absolutely there's no way. There's no obviously, way, actually, right? absolutely no way. It'd be ridiculous, but it's a cool design space. And I think Nisei could design something that's like Max adjacent without being like... What if it's like Max, but 50 years later, and it's just you trash three cards instead of two? <laughs> and you don't even draw. Just <laughs> you don't even draw. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> She's there with a bottle of Jack. Yeah, 60 influence <laughs> at this point. 60 influence. Trash three off the top. Good luck. Court. Enjoy your 10 turns. That just goes back to my story with a bottle of Jack. If she had 60 influence, but you had to trash three, she just, she's incredibly under the influence. Hey. Oh, God. Oh, that was a bad joke. Dad oh, joke. Oh, God. We have puns on this channel, but, you know, this is a level <laughs> yeah. beyond. Oof. I'm just holding out hope that I'm she's cutting the like, feed after that one. Oh. Okay, well, as I said, this podcast is not weekly. It is not airing on Worlds itself either, but this recommendation is specific to Worlds. Don't play these cards at Worlds, and you'll be in our good graces. You know, you'll be on our, our nice list when we get to the end of the year. Is it worth shouting out that we're recording this still in October? So if something cool breaks in November and we're like way behind the curve, we had no chance. We did not know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we will probably be releasing this like the week of Worlds or like maybe the week before, but there is a very solid chance that we are missing something really large. And if that's the case, then yeah, you can make fun of our takes here. That's fine. That's, that's cool. I don't, I don't give a shit. You think that I think my takes are good? Come on. You were the um, one that wanted to call it the slums cast. So uh, my answer there would be no boss. Not your boss. Neither of us gets paid for this. And with that, on that note, we've reached the end of the episode. If you liked what you heard on this episode of the slums cast, then go ahead and follow the slums cast. We release content usually every couple of weeks, usually every three-ish. Depends exactly what's happening in the world and happening in our lives. But yeah, three-ish weeks, typically, you can get more content just like this please also consider rating us whatever number of stars you feel is appropriate. Five might not be. I'd like to think that we're worth five stars in whatever podcast distribution network that you use or comment. All of those help us show up to more people. So if you want more people to hear wonderful Netrunner content about not being good at Netrunner, then please leave us a rating or a comment. Wonderful. Uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, you we want have people merch. to hear okay content. Oh, I keep interrupting you. Good. I almost was going to wait again so I can interrupt you again. No. I'm sorry. All right, I'm going to stop. Um, we have God damn it. <laughs> you did it on purpose. <laughs> okay, hold on here. I'll, I'll. We have merch. If you want to pick up merch, then 
follow the link in the show notes. All of the proceeds of merch, once we finally have enough to cash out of Redbubble, go to charity. And if you liked what you heard on this episode, but specifically you only liked the parts that didn't include me and Josh, then please follow Andre. Please follow the Metropole Grid. On that note, Andre, special thanks to you for showing up today. Special thanks for talking with us about Netrunner for a few hours. Yo, my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, Having me, it was a fantastic time. Any shout outs you would like to give while you're here? Would I be the only person who's ever shouted out the shout on this channel? Can I do that? You're not allowed to. Yeah, that's fine. Um, no, just you've already plugged my channel. Um, if you want to get some Netrunner content in, uh, we'd love to have you. It's been a fantastic community. Where can you find Metropole Grid? Yeah, we're on youtube.com slash Metropole Grid. It's a French word. It's very easy to spell. Don't worry. And then on Twitch as well, twitch.tv slash uh, the same stuff. That's largely it. I don't think we really exist anywhere else meaningfully. We'll have links to those in the show notes if you want to oh. check those out. Cheers. Any other shout outs? No, thanks y'all for having me. Fantastic time. I was really looking forward to this. Yeah, us too. Glad that we finally got you on the cast. You know, we've been doing this for a year. This is our 23rd episode. And I'm like shocked that we didn't reach out at any point before this. So as we proved at the start of this episode, I'm not just saying this. If you actually have any questions or comments, feel free to send them to us. We have the email, which is slumscast at gmail.com. And you can also reach either Josh or me on StimSlack or on Twitter. We'll have links for how to do that all down in the show notes as well. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us. If you have any concerns, um, forget what I just said for the last 10 seconds. Oh, damn it. Pants. We forgot Hmm? something. Okay, so we did forget to talk about one thing during that episode. We, we've reconvened uh, about a week later. Who is going to win Worlds? Who is a person, right? Who is a person? Yep. Oh, I, I really don't like this question. Um, you're asked to play favorites in a field of so many just bright and shining stars. Um, so I'm going to just give you the, the unfortunate canned answer, which it'd be nice for Canada to take one of these home, huh? That's who's winning this year. Canada. I'm not a nationalist. I'll be honest. <laughs> it's just, it's about time. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, world's Toronto. Let's go one year. I'm not letting you wiggle out who from Canada is winning in your oh book. God. To be clear, like this isn't, this doesn't have to be an endorsement or a favorite. It's just, if you had to pick, if you had to put money down on one person, who's it going to be? Oh man. I'm going to put my money on Sokka. I think that's always a safe enough pick. I think there's a couple of people specifically from the West Coast that could definitely do it. Uh, but Sokka has been performing really hot for the last couple of years and he's kind of working up there. And the last couple of months, right? I mean, Intercontinentals, Continentals. Mm-hmm. He, what's the last time that he's played in a tournament and hasn't won it? Worlds last year, maybe? I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Josh, who you got here? Who you taking? Uh, you know, I don't know if I am actually up on individual players enough to make a good call here. So I'm going to go to our default and I'm going to make an okay to bad call. Well, I've got a couple of them for different reasons. I'm going to shotgun it here, even though you don't want me to. No, no, you can't do that. Well, try and stop me. Sokka is a really safe bet. And... Okay, I that's an that, end. Cut the feed. So Peter of New World Order, 
is one that hasn't come close to winning yet at Worlds, but I mean, all of New World Order is pretty good. And I think betting on a single one of them isn't a spicy take either. <laughs> so I'll pick the one that hasn't won a Worlds yet. Uh, he got yet. fourth, right? He got fourth well, that's in 2017. True. That's, that's true. Notably, I believe his screen name is Percomus. Percomus? I don't know. I couldn't tell you how to pronounce it, but it's one of those. Yeah, Some combination of letters that makes some sound that's somewhere near that. Yeah. But a known good player and probably a little bit spicier pick than Lost Geek or Pencil. But lastly, I want to get into what my heart of hearts wants. Mm. What I want to be true, but probably won't happen. Most likely because this gentleman won't play in the event. But if Dan Darginio was to take up the mantle again and come back, and finally win his third victory for Worlds. That would be fantastic. So it's a lot harder to play your cards wrong on JNet. They, yeah. they, they don't allow you not to. And that's, <laughs> that's also true. Gatekeeper oh. forces you to shuffle the correct type of card. Yeah, yeah you have no other option. I don't mean to fire shots at Endarjeni. He's awesome. I'm just... Hey, notably, <laughs> in a field of OTG, 50 players, Dan came out of retirement and did make the top eight, along yeah. with several other people who we had thought had taken the Rocky in Creed route. It turns out they were just one Rocky montage away. It is possible for the winner of Worlds to be somebody like that, if they Very want to true. play online. Very true. Okay. All right, Pants. Um, now, no, 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 we're not moving to me. You have to pick one of them. If you're putting money <laughs> down, who are you picking of those three? If I was putting money down, my money goes on Sokka. I might bet for Ranji if he was playing, but I don't think he's going to play online. I also don't think he's going to win, but I would bet on him. Fourth name coming out of nowhere. Uh, okay. I'm not going to let you pin me down. Too late. You picked. We've got two out of three Slumscast hosts and or guests are picking Sokka. As smart as that pick is, it is going to remain two out of three. My pick for who's going to win Worlds this year is Analyze Chris. Consistently has really strong reads on the meta, very good decks, and... I think that he's performing the best out of anyone in that group right now. He's been spending too much time playing Flesh and Blood. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is what I Tell get me. for not keeping track of what people are doing outside of Netrunner. It's eh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Man, that, that might be a bad pick in that case. I think it's fair. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine pick. Yeah, you told me you had a spicy pick that was like a decent pick. And I, I can't yeah. disagree on either point. It is both spicy and and something that I I, I don't think I can disagree with. You know, if, if Snare Bears is doing any scenario, I almost said Snarius testing. Yeah, analyze Chris. Who else could you pick out of the Snare Bears? Jonas? Jonas is definitely, clearly has the talent, has been there before in extremely strong fields. You know, there was some reason in my mind that I thought he wasn't playing, but if Jonas is playing this year, then hmm, I'm not making multiple picks here. So I'm not changing mine. Uh, so money down yeah. on Analyze Chris. It's already sent. It's in an envelope. It's already in the mail. Fair enough. Cool. Well, yeah. I guess we'll see who's right or if all three of us are wrong. It's technically and more likely we're all wrong, but that's it, it is, right? Yeah, that, that's the problem, right? That's the problem with picking a specific person for Worlds is there are legitimately dozens of people who are in the neighborhood of being as good of a pick as each other in any given year. There's no one person who you'd say, oh, yes, this one person is like 50% likely to win Worlds. I think also like this here is, is super fascinating, right? Because we're largely in an unsolved meta. 
if you're in an unsolved meta, right, that like really opens doors up to players who, you know, you might not think are the kind of people to show up on top tables. If you figure out something that other people haven't figured out and don't know how to deal with, it's such a big edge right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I think it blows things wide open. It could be anyone's ear. Well, as I said, we'll see. We'll see if any of us are right. We'll see if all of us are wrong. Uh, and in fact, it would be, it w- we'll see if one of us is right, two of us are right, or none of us are right. Can't be all three though. No matter what, next time you listen to the Slums cast, one of us is going to look like a freaking idiot at least. Oh, that's not a change. <laughs>